You are listening to Zen and the Art of Triathlon. Well, hey there, all you triathlon studs and studettes. This is Coach Brett with another great episode of Zen and the Art of Triathlon. Hey, on today's show, we have triathlon news. We have an interview with the guys behind the fundraiser to pay Lake Placid Ironman seventh place a ton of money to prove a point that uh, the, the prize money just doesn't pay deep enough and doesn't pay well enough in the industry and they're trying to get pros more money. That's a really hot interview that a lot of people are going to want to listen to. It's good stuff. And also we have a couple emails that I need to answer and then we have the training log where I talk in detail about how to train here in San Diego, which is the coolest place to be uh, training in. That's where I'm in. That's where I've been all this week and how to get it done here. And then also at the very end, I wrap up with how uh, to do hill work to make you stronger. You may be leaving some fitness and some ability and some speed out on the table without doing hill work. And San Diego is a hilly, so I was putting the, I was putting this all to the test, and it works. It works really, really well, and you'll find out about that at the end. So that's going to be the episode. That's the layout here. So let's go ahead and get started. Um, yeah, I'm here in San Diego the birthplace of triathlon. Hawaii is not the birthplace. That's where Ironman got started, but they were doing triathlons here, I think on Fiesta Island. And um, then it spread. And if you were here, you would know why. This place is triathlon epicness. It's perfect weather for training all the time. It's hilly. Um, Back in the day, it didn't used to be this expensive as it is now. It's kind of funny um, how expensive, it's kind of sad how expensive it is now. And uh, it's hard to make it by here. But uh, lots of water, lots of fun, lots of everything. And um, yeah, it's pretty epic around here. And let's see, uh, the triathlon news. Let's go ahead and get started. We'll we'll talk more about San Diego and the training log towards, towards the end. Okay, so let's go ahead and get started with the triathlon news. Here we go. All right. Probably the biggest news right now is that the Scott Plasma 5, I think it's the 4 and the 5. I have written down in my notes the 5 and the 6. I don't think that's right. I think it's a Scott Plasma 4 and 5. Let me uh, let me pull it up here and go to Slow Twitch. They have an article about it right on the front page. And... Yeah, Scott Plasma 5. So I'm pulling it up right here, checking out the pictures, and I've been looking at it for a few days. It is one hell of an aerodynamic bike. So it's got an integrated uh, water, I wouldn't call it a bladder, a water container on the front with a bracket that you pop it off and on, and it doesn't rattle at all when you ride over things, and it is smooth, man. So the airflow over this thing just looks fantastic. They say it's actually... a a little bit easier to assemble, and uh, like for a, a race, than most um, super bikes. Not quite as easy as the Quintana Roo uh, PR, um, but still. And then the bento box along the top is integrated, and it's a big silicone-looking thing that goes along the top tube. Um, the body style looks very similar to a uh, Cervelo P5, so 
looks nice, man. Really, really nice rig. Really clean. Um, not much with these super bikes. There's not much left on the table to tuck in aerodynamically. Um, it looks like uh, you got a derailleur cable hanging off the back, and you know, like you do on most bikes, that might be our last last front to um, clean things up. But the biggest thing I think on this bike is the um, well, the brakes are hidden on the front. I mean, this thing is smooth, and um, yeah, the water container on the front is is the big deal. So there's a a lesser model called the Plasma Four, and it's still like it's yeah aerodynamically it's just fine. It just doesn't have the integrated front piece on it, and it doesn't have quite as deep section tubing. Uh, comments on uh, <laughs> slow toys. They wrote, "Wow, pretty ugly." <laughs> I don't think so. I think it's actually um, I think it's actually pretty nice. Um, yeah. Okay, so there's that, and so you can go check that out all over the internet. Scott Plasma Plasma Five, and another big piece of news is Ian Thorpe came out of the closet as being gay, and uh, good for him, man. That is great, and it's amazing to me when people live that long uh, hiding it. But I don't know. I'm not gay, so I can't I can't say anything about what it's really like one way or the other. So, the um, it kind of rocked a few people's world. He's kind of like the uh, Michael Phelps of of swimming a little bit before Michael Phelps was big, and then also um, uh, also is from Australia, and they call him the Torpedo because that dude's like tall, huge hands. Like that dude is badass, and um, yeah, so. And it's Pride Week here in San Diego. Maybe you ought to come hang out in San Diego. We have a good time. And Iron Man introduced a refund policy. It's like 90 bucks or something. And um, you can get your money back on a race. It's a little complicated. It's basically just insurance. And uh, if you don't need the insurance, don't buy it. Because insurance is made to profit off of you. And they're playing the game of odds to, um, to make some money. And that's just the way it goes. So maybe, I don't know, if you're interested in it, it's nice to know that you can insure your race. If something happens, I think you have to get a letter from your doctor saying you can't race and you're out. And that's the way you have to cancel. So it's not just, hey, I don't want to race. I want my money back. You actually have to um, uh, get proof somehow. And then the other thing is that Roth, Challenge Roth, is this weekend and the field is stuck. Stacked. It is the. I, w- I was about to say it's the best and biggest field outside of Kona, but it might be just the same or even better than Kona. The field that is there is incredible. If if you got a name, they're there. You know, Luke McKenzie, um, Carolyn Stefan, Sebastian Be- uh, Keenley, Dirk Bockel, Marinda Carfrey is going to be racing. Um, trying to think uh if i could find a a uh, pro list it just goes on and on and on and it's going to be one hell of a race so definitely check that out actually by the time you hear this uh, the race might have been done and so the next episode i'll do a review of actually how it went down mac is there i think mac is doing a relay um chris mccormick 
and uh, he's doing like a bike section on the relay. He said he's worried about getting beaten by most of the girls on the bike because <laughs> the the uh, the girl field is totally totally stacked as well. And yeah, so oh look at it. Here's another piece of news: seventy point three Hanu no longer a Kona qualifier. Oh, that's interesting. Mm, you heard it here first. Okay, yeah, Iron Man. Uh, used to have tons and tons of halves that were qualifiers for a full. And it looks like they're kind of getting rid of that. All right, we're going to get into the interview next with Pay10Deep on Twitter. Uh, it's a few guys that have gotten together and are raising money for what I call Iron Man Lake Placid Gate. And it's to pay seventh place a, uh, a whatever prize that they can get at this thing to point out that um, people want the pros to get paid a whole lot more. During the interview, I mentioned an experiment where they proved that people don't obey the laws of economics. So you're running a company and you're like, well, this makes economic sense. We should, talk- we should, sorry, I had an alarm on my phone. We should uh, not pay, you know, this deeper, what, you know, on down the road. Uh, we should only pay six deep and only pay this much. It's economically what makes sense. If we look down the line, this is, this is what should happen. Actually, people, <laughs> people don't respond to the laws of economics in a rational matter. And the experiment that I'm talking about during the interview, I wanted to go ahead and say it now so that when, you, when we hit it, that it makes sense. Um, in a testing environment, they, gave, they did this over and over again. They could give two people uh, some work, be the same amount of work, and then they would uh, pay them equal amounts of money, like 10 bucks. It had to be a certain amount of money to make people feel like it was worth something. So let's say it was 10 bucks or 20 bucks or something like that each for the amount of work. And then they said, okay, now we're going to uh, give you this work, but we're going to pay this uh, person. They would tell person A that they're going to pay person B um, either more money than them or either one of them nothing at all, right? So they would say, here's your scenario. Person A, um, you get uh, 10 bucks. Person B gets uh, 20 bucks for the same amount of work. Or person A, you can decide that either, neither, either one of you gets nothing. Neither of you gets anything. And uh, person A would sit there and think about it for a while, and they'd go, you know what? That's unfair that the other person is going to get twice as much money as me for the same amount of work. I would I'll I say that we get nothing both of us get nothing because it's not fair right <laughs> and this blew people's minds because the laws of economics would say says that person A would take the 10 bucks for the amount of work cuz he's getting 10 bucks for easy work it's like solving a jigsaw puzzle like an, like a children's jigsaw puzzle or stacking toothpicks the work was like nominally just dumb and, but the other person was like, if that person over there, if person B is getting paid more than me, I'd rather both of us get nothing than that person get paid more than me for the same amount of work. It's rude. It's an insult. And uh, I, don't wanna, I don't want us to get paid for this. I'd rather both of us walk away with nothing. And then the people running the test would say, are you sure? Because you could get 10 bucks. 10 bucks for this. Laws of economics say you would take 10 bucks. You're, you are throwing away money just f- because somebody else is making more. They're like, yep, I will not take any money just because that person's making more. Okay, so this is a very famous uh, experiment in, in economics and human psychology. And what, 
what you're dealing here with in this interview, we're talking about a corporation that's like, well, this doesn't make economic sense for us to uh, pay these pros anymore than what we're doing. And then you got to think about it. You're not dealing with economics. You're dealing with people. And people have a sense of fairness and they have a sense of justice and pe people are speaking that they want the pros to get paid more. And this is one of the many ways that they're doing it. It's a fascinating, fascinating interview. Um, I took this interview very, very seriously and I wanted to get all the details out. So I wrote down a whole bunch of questions beforehand. So um, I hope that I, I got as much information to you uh, from this as I could. And um, we wrap it up with everybody's uh, Twitter handles and stuff at the end and web pages and stuff. And at zentrathon.com, you can uh, go find the, uh, the link to the, to the fundraiser and the link to uh, all these people's Twitter accounts and the slow twitch thread that we're talking about, which is interesting as well. Okay, let's go ahead and get started with the interview. Here we go. Alright everybody, I am here with Pay 10 Deep. How's it going, man? It's going great. Thanks for having me. It's going good. We've got your voice digitally masked, so no one will be able to um, know who you are. So if you sound like Fantastic. somebody, it's uh, it's a, it's fake. Completely somebody else. It's completely somebody else. Meant to throw people off the off the track. So we're here because of I am Iron Man Lake Placid Gate is what I've decided to name this because this is huge and it's kind of flying under some people's radar a lot of people's radar right now but I think this is going to erupt on race day and when, when is it uh, July 27th is our man like that's right coming up okay so what's going on and I'm going to have you explain it even more but let me tell you from the outsider's point of view semi-outsider because I'm really involved in this as well as far as trying to participate. I've donated to this. Is um, you and a couple of people, which I'll mention names in a moment, have gotten together and started up something that's huge. And just to summarize, <laughs> you're and you're going to correct me on this and kind of explain a little bit more. There's a, uh, you feel that there's a lack of uh, prize money for Ironman triathletes, which is argu arguably the most difficult sport in the world to train for, the most amount of time, the most amount of calories burned, the most amount of sweat in into a sport, and it's ridiculous how little it pays for prize money. And uh, by the time an athlete gets to the race... They're so deep in the hole, and the amount of time, we're talking 25, 30 hours a week of training. They can't hold a full-time job, or hardly even a part-time job to pay for this. Um, by the time they they cross the finish line, uh, the prize money is uh, ridiculously small, um, and it tapers off so fast that uh, seventh place is what you're raising money for. Um, in spite of what Iron, the Ironman brand actually pays only to sixth place, um, some uh, kind of a, a measly amount of money, where if you actually win sixth place against thousands of other people in this race, then um, you're in debt, right? And then 
um, which you guys, I think your goal initially was, it's, it's kind of like, everybody's heard of Kickstarter, but this is GoFundMe, which is a, it's like Kickstarter, is let's pay male and female um, seventh place prize money. And you set your goal to $2,000, from what I remember, uh, a few days ago, and you blew by that, and people have donated $3,465 so far. <laughs> To pay I these, think you're right on, on track there. Yeah, I think, uh, to pay these people um, that have worked so hard um, some sort of prize money. So sixth place will get, what, what is it, uh, pay 10 deep? What, how much will they get? Uh, roughly about now, it's looking somewhere in the neighborhood of about $1,700 for the seventh place male and the seventh place female. Okay, and what does sixth place pay, though? I think it's about six hundred and fifty dollars. So, <laughs> so we're looking at a thousand dollars more each. A thousand dollars more that um, if you wait for for uh, somebody to pass you, and it would be actually, I think the the funniest thing would be for to have uh, people kind of waiting at the finish line for somebody else to pass, which is fine, right? Well, it would certainly make a statement. It would make a statement, um, and it's this is very complicated. What's going on? going on it's this is a very complex situation so i once i saw that this was going on i donated immediately and i got my gluten-free wristband no gluten tolerant wristband yeah you better get that right <laughs> and uh yeah right and um i'm very gluten tolerant in fact i enjoy gluten a lot and i'll take a gluten bath if you give it to me so the um uh i donated and then started following this and then started trying to help out by um uh, tweeting about it and then trying to get you on the show and um, okay so we've got it's it's uh, you and Dark Mark from what I understand from the Slow Twitch forums which is its own personal hell is are the two people behind it and the real Starkey just um, is publicizing it is am I correct on that? Yeah, pretty much. I think the way that this kind of started is, you know, it's basically three guys with similar ideas who kind of came together on Twitter and started thinking about ideas as to how we could make this situation better. I think we all looked at it and realized that the prize money was very asymmetric with this compared to even some of the other uh, race brands. The idea was is that, you know, we know people in the industry. We're in and around the industry. We know some of these athletes. We like them. We take care of them. Sometimes we keep them in our homes, and we see firsthand what they're going through. We know that a lot of these guys come to town, they do homestays, and they're bucking for prize money. They're spending more money getting out here and racing than they have a chance to even make in the race. We didn't think that was right. So the idea was, well, what can we do about it? First thing they came up was, maybe we can find a way to make some money and make a statement, point that out to people, point out the fact that it's just kind of ridiculous like you said yeah. and see what happened um, as it turns out Dark Mark had the same idea as I did and uh, the real Starkey sort of molded over and I think he'll tell you he wasn't quite on board with it right from the start didn't uh, really think it would maybe take off and you know I think uh, Dark Mark really pushed him a little bit more and finally he decided to go for it and I, I think if you asked him the real Starkey will tell you kind of exceeded his expectation and his understanding even. And I would tell you, even so, it's the same thing for me at this point. It's gone further than I would have thought it would in five days. I mean, you're looking at nearly $3,500 that real people out there who are you know, given their real hard-earned money 
to contribute to this statement to show that they're on board and that they don't think that this is how our sport should be represented uh, and how our marquee athletes should be treated. So the the basic gist of all this is that pros should be paid more in prize money and the amount of prize money in other sports is way higher than than this sport and it's really uh, not comparable as far incommensurate I think it, as far as the amount of effort that goes into the sport versus the amount of payout and I personally have never seen a sport where you invest so much time into it and then get so little payback if you were to go pro, right? So I was talking to a friend the other day that's thinking about going pro and I'm like, why? You, you'll, you'll be poor for, you know, until you're 40 and then you'll have nothing to show for it. And And I think that's a real shame for our sport because what it directly translates to is inhibiting the development of the next generation of the best athletes. I mean, your question is very appropriate. Why would somebody who's very talented in our sport, who could become the next name, big name in the sport, why would he make that decision, he or she make that decision to go into the sport knowing what the environment is right now? It it translates into directly hurting the development of the sport, I think. Right. So so you have, um, this is the case with American football versus everything else, right? Where, um, because American football and American well, basketball attracts the top top athletes, the other sports suffer, right? So and, and and they've proven that um, with uh, soccer around the world and with the other endurance sports that our top athletes go into football and then get injured and then just don't do anything else. And that's why uh, U.S. males don't compete as well as other around the world in endurance sports. So you don't make this prize money worthwhile it actually hurts every single triathlete that's out there every cyclist right that's out there trying to ride on the road there's fewer of us and we're getting hit by cars because there's fewer cyclists because there's not as much attention to the sport because there's not as much prize money that's what i in my daily life that's what i relate it to well i think the point is is that it's not just about what happens on one day for a given athlete in a certain place. Right. What it represents is more than that. It represents the growth and development and the next generation of the sport. Right. So do you – I don't have it off the top of my head. Do you know when Iron Man went uh, – sold from the original founders to a comp- to another company and then when they went actually public? I don't have those dates on me. No, I don't. Not, uh, not off the top of my but head. But what's interesting is Iron Man is the recognized brand in the sport. And they have you know a real hold on the sport. People identify the Iron Man race as Iron Man brand. What they've done is uh, fantastic as far as a marketing point of view. They Their name is essentially the same thing as the action, as the verb. So Google, right? When you either use Google or you Google something, it's the same thing. Right. And when you reach that status in the market, you are essentially a superpower. <laughs> and it's uh, Xerox. When you you know you Xerox a piece of paper or do you copy a piece of paper? Absolutely. Uh, do you drink a Coke? Well, what Coke in Texas? A Coke is anything. It's any kind of carbonated soda. Okay. 
and um, Iron Man is at this level of power. And um, I've noticed lately that there, uh, everybody's, a lot of people have noticed, and if you haven't noticed, you need to know this, they are strategically holding races on purpose and starting races on purpose to crush other race um, venues. Um, other race companies that have races on the same day, uh, Iron Man will hold races and to uh, to pull all the participants over to their race and just choke out the other the other races. I'm not I'm not terribly against that because I think that that's um that's my level that's my comfort level of competition, you know. Um, well, but, I don't think that I could say that I blame Iron Man for trying to make money. I mean, after all, they're a publicly held company, and this is yeah, a capitalistic yeah. society. Yeah, um, I'm not against that at all. But you know, I think along with that comes a great responsibility. I mean, it's like the Spider-Man movie, right? With great power comes great responsibility, and for better or worse, Iron Man WTC has become the marquee brand in our sport, especially to a lot of people outside of our sport. Iron Man is our sport to them. Yeah. And with that comes the responsibility, I think, to foster and develop the sport and to uh to represent it admirably. I mean, I think another important point to look at is the fact that even people that are in the sport recognize that Iron Man M dot as the representation of the sport means to them. And I think that's a big reason as to why the age groupers you know, and the people in our sport should really care about how Ironman is perceived and how they represent our sport. Um, you know, otherwise it becomes, you know, you look at that tattoo on your calf or your arm and, you know, you got to care what that means. And if not, then it just becomes the equivalent to a self-imposed modern day scarlet letter. You know, actually, no, I've never thought about this before, but I think people ought to see it this way. It's a lot like the Harley Davidson tattoo. You know, it's more than a company. It's a lifestyle. It's a, it's a, it's, it's an identity. Um, I want to, I want to back up just a second. There's a little bit of, of blowback against this. So there's a, a great slow twitch thread where you guys are promoting, you know, donating to help these pros out. Um, if you donate to this fund, you um, are helping whoever gets seventh place. Uh, get some great prize money. If it ends up being a ridiculous amount of money, then that's that's all the more interesting. And sends a message to Iron Man that the people, the age groupers, the general public is interested wants uh, Iron Man to pay, as in your name, uh, 10 deep, at least. Right? Yeah, um, absolutely. And instead of uh, just a few deep and, and not so much where it drastically falls off um, because people are trying to make a living doing this because if you want to perform at that level to actually win at this, you actually have to not work. <laughs> it's the and thing. not only that, yeah. but you have to give decades of time and preparation to compete at that high of a level. Right. Exactly. Okay, so... In that thread where people are discussing this, there's a few people that say, oh, you know, they're just a corporation and uh, WTC's a, a company and they're out to make profit. And uh, pros, for example, pros should get money from somewhere else. 
right? Or sure. um, golf. The one thing I saw that drove me nuts was, well, golf pays. If you win a golf tournament, you win millions, let's say. And um, but that's just the way golf is. And and my argument back to that is, well, triathlon would be hugely more popular if these company if uh, WTC paid a huge prize purse as well. That's how you actually get the sport to be super popular is to pay a huge prize purse, not the other way around, not wait for the sport to get popular and then eventually pay a huge prize purse. You know, I don't think anybody, you know, any of the three of us are advocating that triathletes should make millions for finishing and winning a triathlon. But I, I do think that a more realistic goal is that you can earn a living wage. Um, you know, maybe you don't lose money when you fly across the country to go to a race. Maybe you can afford to, you know, go out to dinner after the race rather than worrying about having enough money in your pocket to pay for the hundred bucks it's going to cost you to fly your bike back home. Yeah. I mean, these are, these are, you know, expenses of participating in the race that truly is benefiting the corporation that these athletes are holding completely on their own and often out of their own pocket and often with no winnings, they're losing a fair amount of money to do that. Yeah, I, I had a brief moment where I thought that maybe I was getting good enough to go pro. <laughs> and I was uh, quickly uh, separated from that vision. <laughs> anyway, but then when I debated against uh, doing that versus my just average job that I've got, you know, I would have suffered huge financial losses by trying to go pro. Versus um, holding a, a just a regular job, you know, uh, the the what the pros have to go through. It's almost like trying to become a rock star or something like that. It looks good, but the odds are so stacked against you that it's it's completely impossible. It's it's nearly impossible. It's statistically impossible to actually make it. Um, I want to talk for a second about um, the what what. Iron Man is. So Iron Man is actually a brand name and right now it's held as a by a publicly you can probably clarify me on this. A publicly traded company, yes. right? With stockholders. Correct. And these stockholders can be but probably aren't triathletes, right? They they can or not be. It doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. All they want to see is the value the stock value of this company go up, right? Correct. They on the on is it traded on Wall Street? I never looked to be honest with okay. you. But it's a publicly held company. It's a publicly so held company, and all they want to see is that stock ticker go up, right? At any almost at any cost. Well, any cost that'll work. Okay, so they um, are in the business. I like to call it in the business of separating money from people's wallets <laughs> sure. at, at this point. It didn't always used to be like that, but when the company got sold to a, to a publicly held company, and that's what these companies do, that, that's Amazon, that's uh, Google, that's Apple, that's all these companies, right? That if, if you're running this company, if you're in management of a company like this and you don't increase the value, the amount of money that you're getting out of people for the product, then you're going to get fired, right? So, sure. um, 
and that's where some people say, hey, this is just, uh, and it's called um, WTC, uh, World Triathlon Corporation, and that's that's what they're supposed to be doing is and is trying to maximize profit. Okay, so one way to maximize max, maximize profit is to pay out less, right? So one way to pay out less is to pay out the the bare minimum, for example, to winners, right? It's to maximize uh, entry fees to this, and uh, somewhere between those two, and get sponsors as well, you show profit, right? Absolutely. And that's fine, but I think what's going on here is people forget that um, it's to separate people from their money, from their wallets, and people aren't just money holders, right? They're just not sacks of money. People actually have emotions and feelings and um, they don't go by economics, right? Because people make irrational decisions. If you look at them strictly economically, people don't make rational uh, judgment and decisions. And there's a really great study where they showed if I give... um, if I give $5 to this person and uh, if we have to split this amount of money but I give this one person more than, than you, how do you feel? And the person starts getting mad that this person worked less for the same amount of money, then people will actually uh, take even less money than what they deserve to punish the other person <laughs> and, and a sense of judgment and fairness, right? People have a sense of fairness, and um, what we see, what we're seeing here, is um, these people that this corporation is trying to separate from their money are actually starting to feel a bit of 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 unfairness of what's going on. So I think that's what our GoFundMe campaign is trying to tap into. I think we're trying to tap into the resources out there and the feelings and the emotions and the desires and the wants of the people that are the customers of the Iron Man and WTC brand. And I think pretty quickly we're starting to find out that those people do think it's unfair. They are willing to be, you know, freer with their money to give to a cause that they think is going to make a difference, make a statement. Um, I think they want to send a message that says it's time that this is recognized. It's time that it's acknowledged. Um, I don't really hear a lot from the other side about anything. There's been no comment about this effort from the WTC or the Ironman brand. Right. There's been no indication as to what would be done to change how it's uh, how the prize purse is distributed and the amount of money or how top-heavy the prize purses are. I don't think we really know where they're at. We hear some vagaries every once in a while. Oh, they're looking to change things or there's going to be fewer races with more prize purses. Uh, None of those things have come to fruition. None of us know the timeline for that. And so the decision here for us is to do something that makes a statement now. Do something that puts money on the table and food on the table and makes a difference in the lives of one or two of the athletes now so that we can start helping. Yeah. Um, These athletes are, again... They're working their butts off for this and aren't getting 
a uh, living wage out of this. And I, I want to mention um, a, a pro triathlete, John Hirsch, who I follow and I'm friends with, and he posted a link to an article that I thought was really interesting. And I think I... Who did I send it to? Um, I want to find the name of the article so that people can find this. Because it, it's kind of like, we're, well, we're stuck in a hole. And how do we, you know, where do we find an angle on this to make a difference? There's the, there's the uh, fundraiser that you're doing. And um, that seems... That seems great. But then what, Right. Well, I think the the idea behind it is to start the conversation and to get it moving. I don't think anyone thinks that the long-term solution is or should be a bunch of people who care about triathlon spending more money through donations to support the pros. I think, you know, the mission behind this is to show people, show, you know, Ironman that people do care enough to change their spending habits about this issue. And that's where I want to go with this. Um, John Hirsch, um, sent me or he tweeted about a link uh, or he tweeted about a blog post and I don't know who wrote this but the website is some random thursday.com and in this article it goes in detail exactly what you are you and I are talking about WTC um, a 240 million dollar loan that they took out to pay out um, Providence Equity Partners, a hedge fund that owns WTC. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I mean, this goes in detail. And everything that's going on, and you, your, um, your GoFundMe campaign is listed on here. And at the bottom of this, uh, it's probably, I don't know, it's a short read, but it's about a page, page and a half, uh, was an incredible idea that I that I immediately picked up, and it was to put pressure on where it actually affects WTC, and WTC gets a lot of its money, a, a lot of its ability, let's say that, to put on a triathlon by its sponsors, right? So when you see a um, a a race, it's the GoPro Ironman, right? It's the Ford Ironman, uh, Hawaii. It's the Chattanooga, <laughs> little Debbie cool. Ironman. Okay, but anyway, um, they said put those are brands that rep- that really depend on people buying their stuff, and put pressure on those brands, and those brands will turn around and put pressure on WTC. I think it's a good potential thing to look into as something to move towards improving this scenario. It is. When I read that, I thought, wow, because I've seen this work a lot where people mount Twitter campaigns, social media uh, uh, campaigns to raise awareness that a brand whose bottom line depends on purchases is being... Uh, involved with something that's deemed um, unfair, right? Right. And, um, for example, I'm going to quote this article from, again, somerandomthursday.com, this blog post. Um, 
perhaps the key is not shaming WTC, but rather lobbying WTC sponsors and educating them on the benefits of a robust pro-payment structure. I'm willing to bet that if big-time sponsors get talking, WTC will be willing to listen. And so I went to Ironman Lake Placid's website, and I found their sponsors that they list out. And it is um, Active.com. Who owns Active.com? Doesn't Ironman own Active.com or something? Um, I'm not sure on that. Uh, But the big one was Power Bar and Sugoi. And Power Bar is... And so I tweeted, Hey, Power Bar and Hey, Sugoi. Why are you supporting a race that pays its pros so little? And the minute I hit tweet on that, send, I thought, I felt the power in that. Like, that is something that actually could make a difference. Well, I think it all comes back to, again, is the perception of the sport and the perception of the Ironman brand. And if people really want to show that it's important to them what that represents, then it will affect sponsors. It will affect the way they spend their money with sponsors. And that, in turn, can put indirect pressure at the top. So if if uh, if people – let me make sure I got this right. It's um, – I want to make sure I have the, the, uh, the tweet handles correct because people can do this if they want to take action right now. If they, if they want to help support these pros to make a living wage. Um, I think like – what is it? Like maybe like three pros or four pros actually can live off of their winnings it seems like. <laughs> It's me. not very many. It's not. It's the very, 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 very top tier of pros. And then some people talk about, well, the pros should form a union. Well, the most powerful pros that could form a union don't want to say anything because they're the ones that are actually getting paid enough as the structure as it is, and they don't want to jeopardize the structure that it is. But believe me, it's it's like five people, you know, that are making a decent living off of this. Um, and then what, you know, after that? I think there's a real reluctance on the part of the pro athletes to yeah. make a statement. I think they have a lot to lose. They have a lot to lose, yeah. And uh, um, I think that's partly why this fundraiser was put together by three guys who feel free to say what they want to say and say what needs to be said. Um, so I got a, a private message from a a pretty decent pro that was like, this is rad. <laughs> well, I can tell you I've gotten a number of, yeah. a number of messages as well from, from people that are supportive. And yeah, and I wasn't solicited of, at all. I mean, like, a lot of friends I, got, I know in the industry and athletes I know in the industry have been very thankful and very supportive. Yeah. Um, and I think that is just further evidence to the fact that this needs to be done, needs to be said. Yeah, the pros are scared. They want change. They're scared to act. Or to say anything because they're they're in a tenuous situation, which just shows the power that that um, of the companies uh, WTC is holding over them. Uh, hey, talk for a second about um, Challenge Bahrain, right? How much are they paying out? Do you, do you have that on you? No, but it's a ton. It's a it's, it's a very insane how much sports. they're paying um, the pros, and they're going to they're paying ten. Yeah, they're paying ten D. <laughs> 
<laughs> exactly. Let's see. I have the list of the sponsors' um, Twitter handles right here, I thought. Let me go get it. And Power Bar, at Power Bar, all one word. And Sugoi Apparel is Sugoi and then underscore apparel on Twitter. S-U-G-O-I underscore apparel and A-P-P-A-R-E-L. And my tweet was, hey, Power Bar and Segoy Apparel, why are you sponsoring an Ironman triathlon that pays its pros so little? Hashtag IMLP. And I got a couple of retweets, so that's good. Um, so if you want to join in on this and help these pros out. Okay, so then we move on to... Let's see. I think there's a couple of things I wanted to talk with you about. Um, there's something that, that uh, with the, the KPR system, which is where uh, pros rack up points, that I think you might have something to say on that with as far as proof of value of the pros, that Iron Man knows these pros are worth something, right? Absolutely. I mean, yeah. I think Iron Man really knows that the pros are a big commodity to their brand. And, you know, it's kind of the dirty little secret. I, I hear from a lot of pros and a lot of people I know that, you know, they're under, you know, they're not valued right. by Iron Man and that if they just got rid of them, they would be better off or that's what the long-term plan is. And I, I don't really agree with that. I mean, the dirty little secret is, is that they are a huge part of their yearly advertising campaign. I mean, look at the Kona broadcast every year. I mean, no pros, no broadcast. Yeah, it's just and, a local 5K at that point. And let's face it, yeah. I mean, that is the best advertisement for their brand yeah. every year. How many of us first saw the Hawaii Ironman and it piqued our interest in the sport? Um, you know, the further proof is the KPR system, okay? It's a point system where pros have to develop and earn a certain number of points in order to qualify. But it's real important to distinguish this. This isn't like a NASCAR point series or even the WTS ITU point series where there's a series championship at the end of the year. This is solely for the benefit of qualifying for the world championships in Kona. There's no series champion. There's no money reward for being the third overall highest points earner for the year. What it does is it takes them and it obligates the pros to complete a certain number of events so that they restrict their ability to go to other places and outside races in order to earn a better living. Yeah, there was something where um, it's really interesting that the KPR points, so a pro has to get, it's in the the way they've structured the points is kind of weird so it's you know hundreds and thousands of points and stuff and then the top 40 males and the top 28 or something like that females um have uh, out of all the points get to go to kona to race so they get to lose a whole bunch of money over the year (laughs) for the opportunity to race to lose even more money is the way i was saying okay so then and if the pros weren't a commodity there wouldn't be a need for a KPR. Right. The the proof is in its existence. They know that the pros add to their brand, to their image, to the sport, to the legitimacy of the Ironman World Championship. Right. And without keeping them tethered to it, it, it's it's very, very significant loss to them. 
Right, because there's some people that would say, oh, you know, this uh, Iron Man's really all about the age groupers. Well, but you need to shine a spotlight on some of the racers, which would be the pros, to show, to inspire people to keep, like, what you could do and do Well, well. nobody remembers me coming down the chute at the Iron Man, right? Right. I mean, everybody remembers those glorious moments Mm -hmm. when people are coming down the chute and finishing, when people break the course record, the run record, uh, you know, who won the world championship or out sprinted who at the end, you know, the, the pros define the iconic moments of the sport. Without that, the sport doesn't grow. It doesn't develop. It doesn't pique someone outside the sport's interest to get them involved. Right. It's important. And there's something really interesting where um, a friend and I were just talking about this. Um, newspapers, for example, are really in that business of selling ads, right? And and uh, Google, for example, is in the business of selling ads. They just use search as the method to get you on their page to sell ads, right? It's really Google's really an ad company, and um, newspapers are really ad companies that use a little bit of news to attract your attention to the page. And my friend, I didn't know where he was going with this. He goes, "How much have you spent?" in Iron Man, how much have you spent in the sport of triathlon over the past couple of years? You've been in the sport how long? You know, like 10, 12 years, 15 years. How much have you spent lately? And I said, I sat there and I thought about it for a while and I said, hardly anything. He goes, to Iron Man, you're dead. <laughs> right? Absolutely. Um, well, you know, I think it's important to recognize that the, the pros and the brands that they use and people see drive the sport. I mean, what do we want? We want to see the want, best in the world being the best that they can be, and we want what they use. Well, yeah, well, check this out. This is really interesting. He said what they really want. How much money did you spend in the first year of your existence in the sport? And I said a ton. The first few years, a ton of money, right? And so Iron Man is really a brand that puts on races – to get people into the sport and it's kind of okay to be a one and done because after you're in the sport for a while you quit spending money and on new stuff you're kind of settled in and you're sp- you spend money on nutrition and stuff like that but really it kind of levels out you know and so that's why they're, they, they're really focused on getting new people to sign up all the time and in my opinion they don't they don't do any kind of like uh, qualifiers for an Ironman because that's a barrier to somebody new right and so they want new people to sign up and then uh, make money off of that. And the way to get new people to sign up is to showcase these spectacular performances of what you can do. The same reason Nike showed, as probably you and, and me growing up, Michael Jordan all the time. There's no way I'm going to be a pro playing for the Bulls, right? I mean, it's ridiculous when you think about it. But then when I go out and play, I think about him because he's, like you were saying, iconic. Right? You want to be like that. I you want to be wear like the same that. shoes. And you I want to spend a ton of money getting to the point of where I have all the same gear and stuff to him. But then after a while, I'm kind of I'm there and I'm I'm kind of done, you know. So once somebody's been in the sport for a while, they they quit spending so much money, and then uh, you kind of want to phase them out and get new people in. And you need these icons, these amazing performances by amazing people to attract new people in. Any thought on that? 
Am I way off base? or No, I think that if we want the sport to grow and yeah, yeah. it revolves around new people coming into the sport, that it needs to have good exposure, good representation. The right. brand and the sport need to be represented admirably, responsibly, and developed appropriately. And that involves supporting the people who do this sport the best in the world. Right. So we've 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 discussed this. We've proven that the the pros actually do have a lot of value by comparing it to like basketball, like Jordan, for example. And then also the whole point system, right? Where they try to hold on to, once they once they get somebody in as a pro, they really try to hold on to them, right? To keep them racing. So Iron Man does know the value of pros. And so what we're actually looking at here is we're at a point in history where Iron Man brand has leverage over how much they pay the pros because the pros aren't unionized. They have no real power, right? Because they're just individuals not making much money. And how are they, how are they going to actually fight back? They can't, right? So we're, Well, they're we're, in a very vulnerable position. Yeah, they're very vulnerable. So they're having to take this of, of not getting paid very much. Um, and, okay, so a way to help uh, change this. And, hey, if, if we're wrong, we're wrong, right? But the, the way to find out to see if people really support this is to help uh, a start is this um, donation campaign and also to watch what happens on the uh, 27th. Um, I was talking with another friend and we were laughing about like, what if <laughs> on the Iron Man video coverage, somebody walks out with a giant check and hands it to seventh place. Is that going to happen? Stay tuned. <laughs> With a big glass of white milk? Perhaps. Perhaps. Oh, man. I'm a little bit more tuned in, I think. This is going to be great. I think this is awesome. So um, what's what's your end game on this? I mean, what do you think is the best possible outcome? Well, awareness, number one, is the end game. Yeah. The second is, is to pick a couple people. Well, they'll pick themselves by finishing seventh yeah. and uh, and help them out, foster the development of the sport. I think what you're looking at here is a few guys who don't really have a direct benefit in terms of promoting this cause. And what that means is we don't really have a dog in the fight in terms of the financial gain of this particular aspect of this. And um, we're three guys who, who love the sport are involved in the sport and care about people in the sport and know that other people aren't in a position to take a stand and make a statement so we're going to do it for them and we're going to build small and then we're going to start small and then we're going to build and then we're going to expand and i think it's about building a track record of trust you know say what you want about the real starkey but one of the things you could never say is that you don't know where he's coming from or what his opinion is. <laughs> that's so <true. laughs> I think that that's something that you'll always be able to count on yeah. in this scenario is yeah. that it'll be, uh, it'll be transparent. Yeah. And uh, if you like it, support it. And if you don't, it's okay. Yeah. But at least you'll know where we stand. Yeah, if you don't like it, don't support it. It's fine. The, um, I know, for example, I have no vested interest one way or the other, right, monetarily. I'm just... A, a triathlete. I'm just an age grouper, you know. But I've seen, I've I've done the the math on trying to go pro, and it's ridiculous. It's it's so sad, and I've done the training to try to get there, and it's it's unbelievable that people are actually 
are so drawn into the stigma of the sport and the magic of the sport and then are faced with the um, Maka himself uh, Chris McCormick, two-time Ironman champion, you know, saying that after doing an Ironman and winning an Ironman, he went to a boxing uh, match in Vegas, and somebody that was sitting next to him he had great seats, you know, and somebody sitting next to him said, "Hey, you know, who are you? What are you doing here?" And he said, "Oh, I just won Ironman," and then the guy said, "Oh, I bet you you're like a millionaire." <laughs> Far from it. Well, what well, he said first off, what's an Ironman? That's part of the problem right there. And then he said, uh, and how much did you win? And he said like $250,000 or something, whatever he won. at This is the world, world championships in Hawaii. And uh, he said, oh, I bet you're just, I bet you're just loaded and rich and so excited. And he said, maybe it was far less than $250,000. I wonder what, I can't remember what the world championships actually pays in the end. But, the boxing match that they were watching, the guy that was going to lose, and it wasn't even like a top match, was going to make more than Maka did in like six minutes of this, of boxing. Well, in all fairness, Maka didn't get punched in the face. Yeah, well, he could have. In the swim, <laughs> At least the swim you get punched in the face. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so, um, but anyway, yeah, I, I'm not. I'm not in this know for any kind of win either except um for example i'm a coach right and i like to see more people doing triathlon and more safe more safe uh uh, riding out on the roads because people are more aware of the sport sure i think it's important to point out too just so everybody knows none of the three of us are pro triathletes so we're not really bucking to put prize purse in our own pockets oh my god no no why would you be a pro i mean honestly After after looking at the numbers, so okay, well, cool, man. Well, thanks so much for um, being on the show. You're welcome. And I hope we got the message out there. Out there, um, the GoFundMe account, which um, again, July 27th is the end date. That's when it pays out. Watch Ironman Lake Placid, and the let me see, let me see if I can find it. The GoFundMe. Yeah, here it is. We're at $3,465 to pay seventh place, a split between male and female, which is really cool. And um, the best place to find this is um, to go to uh, the, the Real Starkey on Twitter, and he'll tell you uh, where to go fund. And um, gofundme.com slash... B D S G J S, which is the the um, the URL that they came up with. Yeah, I just want to let everybody know uh, since we've exceeded our goal, uh, we added a poll. So if you donate, you'll get the link to the uh, poll, the survey, Mm -hmm. where you can help us decide how the extra money is going to be spent. Um, But right now. Paying, uh, paying an even split to the seventh female and the seventh male is winning. So if you want to have a say as to how the extra money gets spent, yeah, throw in a little bit of donation. Go there and let your voice be heard there too. Yeah, definitely. Go check that out and go vote. Cool. All right. Thanks a lot, man. Yeah, you're welcome. All right. All right. Thanks, Pay Ten Deep. Very cool. Let me open up my uh, notes here. We're gonna get to the. 
questions and donations to the show and also to the training log here in a second. Let's see. Donations. All right, you can help support Zentry uh, by, there's a donations link on the left-hand side. I'll get to that in a minute. Let's go ahead and read off uh, some donors. John Kaufman, thank you very much. Connor Sanders, thank you so much. Jonathan Woodman is a donor. Simon Wright, longtime donor. John Taylor, Joseph Rogalski, and John Meisner. Oh, let me open this one up. Uh, Peter Tornhill, but let's go back to John Meisner. I think I may have read a couple of these on the last episode. We'll find out here in a second. And, oh, this is a really good one. So this guy, uh, John, is... uh, (laughs) I enjoy listening to the podcast both for entertainment and coaching purposes. We recently made a cross-country drive, and my wife, who is not a triathlete but is a runner, became a new fan of yours. We listened to many editions of the podcast during the drive. It's a great blend of interviews, training tips, Zen, and squirrel. Squirrel moments. That's when I get distracted. Uh, when I was ready to listen to something else for a while, she asked me to play the next episode, so we were all caught up. Did I read this on the last episode? I don't think I did. Uh, 57 years old and started doing triathlon four years ago. Um, There's a charity fundraiser here. Okay, yeah. Number one charity fundraiser for Ironman Arizona's official charity, Smile Train. $43,000 will pay for 170 170 cleft surgeries. Get that. $43,000 to Smile Train. Go go check them out. That is cool, man. Way to go, dude. Uh, My next try is a half iron distance race in Chicago. Chisago, not Chicago. That's not a typo. Chisago Lakes, Minnesota, on July 27th. Cool. That's the same as uh, Ironman Lake Placid, I think. And um, it's the biggest annual event in this small town. It will be my third year doing it and use it as a tune-up race for Kona. Speaking of Kona, I recently had a chance to speak with Miranda Carfrey when she visited Arizona. She's, Miranda is a Kona champion. Um, I introduced myself as a mediocre triathlete, but a strong fundraiser and asked her for Kona advice. She gave me four tips. Number one, appreciate the opportunity to train in Arizona because the heat there uh, will train you for Kona. Uh, and it takes a toll on many Kona competitors. Number two, remember, this is Miranda telling them this. This is cool. Remember that I am bringing your fitness with you to Kona. There's simply no more fitness to be gained after you get there. Three, avoid fatigue by staying away from the expo activities. And four, most importantly, enjoy, underlined, enjoy the race as few triathletes have a chance to race Kona. That is true. There's lots of us that are trying to get there, and, man, you are really lucky to be there. So good on you, man. Thanks for sharing that. Uh, He says, thanks again for the great work. Give our best to Emily and Kai and Kona, the dog. (laughs) All right, thanks, man. That's really cool. And... Let's see, uh, Peter Tornhill, Daniel Stark, Elizabeth Davis, and I've got two emails here, one from Mark Lanayo. Let's get this going here. Things in Arizona are hot. Oh, he bought some Hornet juice. I'll tell you about that in a minute. And so I sent him an email saying thanks, and uh, this is what he wrote back. I asked him how, how it is in Arizona. Big fan of your podcast. Just, as, just listened to the Pump My Own Gas episode when I was traveling yesterday and got 13 and a half miles run in Sawyer Park near San Fran, I think, Sam Fran. Um, 
Love being able to run in different places while traveling for work. Your podcast has helped me during so many runs, bikes, and car trips. So thank you for all you do. I am just an age grouper and doing my first 70.3 this August in Flagstaff at 8,000 feet elevation. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> my A race is Ironman Silverman, 70.3 this October. Cool. A year ago, I was 250 pounds and now down to 190. Boom, right there, dude. Way to go. So thanks for helping me keep me focused uh, along my life change and getting back into running and triathlons. Hey, man, that's what this show is about right here. That right there. I used to weigh almost 250 myself. I was around 230, 240, and I got down to 170. Two or something like that. Uh, 168 at one point. That was a little bit too light for me, so I put some weight back on. But this is how you do it, man. Good job. Um, I am volunteering in Ironman Arizona this year, and we'll do early registration so I can do the full Ironman Arizona in 2015. Hey, cool. Hope the Hornet Juice adds to my training along the way. And again, that's Mark Lanayo. Okay, so if you get Hornet Juice from the website, you're helping support Zentri. It's on the right-hand side, and it's a uh, fat-burning... Um, powder that is chemically <laughs> chemically structured exactly like the Japanese killer hornet saliva. No joke. Go Google hornet juice. Find out how it works. And it does work. It works actually really, really well. I use it all the time. And then go get it from zentrathon.com and you're helping to support this show. No joke. Japanese killer hornet wasp saliva. <laughs> Sounds crazy. But when you read about it, you'll understand how it works. And it, it does work, and it's really, really cool. It it um, it promotes uh, fat metabolism, so you have more energy for longer workouts and longer races. It's really cool. And let's see. And again, zentrathon.com. You can go check that out. And Jeff Roth sent us a note, and he said, uh, things in Chicago are great. This is my third year of triathlon, and I'm in the process of training for my first half iron. That's about right. Yeah, about three years in, start doing a half. Next month in Michigan. Your show has been great motivation and inspiration for me. Love hearing somebody getting it done in so many different facets of life. Keep up the great work. Hope to see you next year at Big Shoulders. Oh, that swim in Chicago. Yeah. I'm trying to get my brother to do that. We'll see. You also inspired me to put together a self-supported half iron man next year. Every year I put on a... Um, a uh, full Ironman. Uh, if you're new to the show, um, it's in Texas in October. Um, I uh, self-supported half Ironman next year with some friends. We are going to be raising money for our Greyhound adoption nonprofit, American Greyhound. Cool, man. It has found homes for 100 plus hounds every year. Should be lots of fun. As a fellow Greyhound owner, I have a Greyhound. I thought you would appreciate it. Yeah, Roxy is our greyhound that we rescued when she was a puppy. And um, so we got her as a baby. And it was like having a kangaroo around, a baby kangaroo around the house. And she was a trip when she was that young. Um, as a fellow greyhound owner, I thought you would appreciate it. Thanks, Coach Brett from Jeff. Hey, dude, thank you. Okay, so the way this works is if you find that you got any uh, value from the show and you would like to pay back somehow some way uh, Zentri for the hours and hours and hours and tons of work that go into the show and the knowledge that I try to uh, 
give you guys to make your lives easier and better and training tips, then there's an easy way to pay back however much you feel like you got out of it. And you can go to zentrathon.com and on the left side of the page, there is a donation link. And you can set up a recurring donation, which I would say about... Um, half the people do, maybe two-thirds do, and it ends up being just less than four bucks a month, and it just recurs. It's really, really cool. And then uh, you can also uh, do a one-time donation, and in the one-time donation, the way PayPal set up, it uh, opens up a box where you can put a comment. I get that as an email, and then I read it on the show. But if you're a multiple-time donation, you can um, also email me, and I'll read your question on the show and answer it. And uh, the email is Texafornia. I used to live in California, and now I live in Texas, at gmail.com. So T-E-X-A-F-O-R-N-I-A, Texafornia at gmail.com. Send me a note, and I'll read your question on the air. Super cool. All right. I think that's it. Um, before we get into the training log where I give you tons of training information, we ought to mention a few sponsors because we did get some cool things to mention and Sufferfest. Sufferfest is huge in cycling and in triathlon. They make training videos, and um, I've been promoting uh, a, a, a discount link, a discount code uh, for Sufferfest videos. They're, they're freaking phenomenal, and you got to check them out. They're really motivational, and um, they've got triathlon versions now instead of just cycling, and the discount code is all caps ZENSUFFERING. Again, all caps, all one word, Zen Suffering. And you get 10% off all the videos. So go over there and get some freaking videos because they will kick your ass hard and make you a much, much, much better triathlete. By far, huge. And cycling is where it's at. You can't run unless you're good on the bike. If you're not good on the bike, then your your legs are toasted by the time you get to the run anyway. It's all about the bike, man. So go and get some Sufferfest videos, okay? Again, Zen Suffering, 10% off all their videos and training plans. Cool? It expires on July 31st. Go get some so that they know that we're sending people over there and they keep doing this. This is good stuff. All right, then... Let me go over. I've got another little note over here with all the um, the discounts. Um, make sure you swing by Compete Hub. They're kind of like a Facebook of triathlon. They have all these races listed. It's super easy to find races and find other people doing these races. Again, that's CompeteHub.com. you got to go check it out. We did an interview with the CEO. It's really cool. And... Let's see, uh, Sunto Ambit is coming out with the Ambit 3. That's going to be really nice. And uh, Trainer View um, has uh, discount code Zentri, uh, $10 off for the year, and you can design your own uh, route on a map and train that way with Google Street View. It's kind of like... Um, it's kind of like Sufferfest, but it's a little bit different, and it works great on the treadmill, and you, you kind of want to plan your own course. And then... Um, Again, the, you can donate on the show on the left, Hornet Juice on the right, Zentrathon.com. And here's another big one. AmritaHealthFoods.com makes Amrita bars, and they are fantastic. They're kind of like Lara bars, but way better, like way better. And if you have a nut allergy especially because they use seeds instead of nuts, 
and so they're nut allergy proof and um, just awesome 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 whole food fuel that digests actually easily easily and also they have some um, recovery bars too which I don't even wait to need to recover from something I just go and eat them <laughs> I have a little bit of a problem <laughs> chocolate maca maca oh man they're so good anyway um, so Arshad from Amrita has been a really great sponsor of this show. So go show him some love. It's 15% off with discount code ZEN, Z-E-N, and you can order their stuff online, get it shipped right to your house. Dude, don't drive to the grocery store to go get some food. Just go to your computer, get some of your energy bars, man. That's how you do it. Just like that. Have them show up. 15% off. Amrita bars, man. And go check out their freaking training kits, man. Their cycling kits are gorgeous. Socks, everything, man. I love it. They got shirts. Um, I was wearing an Amrita shirt yesterday to my uh, software conference that I was at. Because it looks good. It looks really, really good. Really bright colors uh, contrasted with black, which makes you look super pro. Okay, and again, I want to mention, again, Compete Hub. Go check out Compete Hub. Um, I'm on there and checking things out myself, like what's my next race. Super easy uh, way to find and uh, sign up for races, okay? All right, and then tell Compete Hub that, that you got there from Zentry. They like that stuff. Okay, that's it. Are we ready to go? Let's roll into the training log. Don't miss it, man. Lots of good stuff in here. Lots of tips on how to train, how to live the tri life, and just how to get it all done. All right, here we go. You are entering the Zentrite training log zone. Kuneli. Hi, everybody. My name is Brett. I'm a triathlete. I decided it's time I got some friends more suited to my status. But, Joe, we've been friends for years. Hey, we all make mistakes. Come on, dudes, let's go exercise. Exercise! Yeah. I'm going to do sit-ups till I poop myself. So we're in Morgan's, uh, what do you call this thing? The Virgin Slayer or something? What kind of car? What, what, what's your name for this car? No, it's just bordering on douche sled. The douche sled. <laughs> But it's not, it's not that bad. Yeah, your all-wheel drive, it's a vol- it's turbo, vol- Volvo, Volvo, I mean. Uh, safe. Yeah, it's very safe. and Like a freaking it rocket. Bo- it is boxing. Um, anyway, he just picked me up from the airport. Welcome to a new training log. And they have lost my luggage. It's the third freaking flight in a row where an airline has lost my luggage in a row. And I'm like, and then now, tomorrow, we're going to go swim or bike or whatever. List. And <laughs> just annoy the hell out of this oh, geez, it's questionably patriotic, it's questionably unpatriotic uh, citizen. I'm not pro-war enough, so let's lose all of this shit. Maybe yeah. there was so much Texas in the bag. There's too much Texas in my freaking bag. They bring it out. Anyway, well, it made it to Houston. Yeah, they kept it in Texas, dude. That's Maybe what they like, said. Like and they go. They said after state. Houston, they have no idea where it went. <laughs> That's right, so I was telling Morgan, why did my ancestors freaking come here from Europe? You know, to find a better life. I feel like I'm living in a third world country. We could have just gone to freaking Ecuador. We got sweet burritos. But you suggested Australia. Australia. I think Australia is going to be the new, the new, the new yeah, shit. Right? I tell you what, here in America, shit has stopped working. 
kangaroo transport systems, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, dude, I'm so sick of flying places and them losing my crap. Should have rode your bicycle here. There's a freaking uh, Buddhist monk. There's a Buddhist monk on my plane, and I try to be nice to him. I go, oh, do you need help with something? He goes, no. (laughs) I swear to God, dude. He was freaking mean to me, dude. That's not very sad. Yeah, I go, uh, I go, do you speak English? And he's, he said kind of yes or whatever, wherever he's from. He looked uh, Asian Pacific kind of something. And then I go, yeah, I don't know what he's got under that cloak. Racist. <laughs> and then he, uh, I go, well, here, let's walk over here to the edge of the uh, jetway thing and I'll help you look at your ticket. Because he was trying to figure out like which one of these pieces of paper is his ticket. Like where his boarding pass, I mean. So what seat he's supposed to sit in and stuff. Yeah, yeah and he like pushes me away. <laughs> it's like, no. But I'm like, all right, dude. Earn your karma some other way. I don't <laughs> know, whatever bag, you're into. Maybe his bag was full of karma. Maybe his bag didn't get yeah. where it was going. Well, it didn't earn me any points because my luggage is lost. Okay, so burritos. It's after freaking midnight. Is it after one yet? It's almost it's 12. 1242. We were supposed to get in at 9, and now it's pat. It's almost 1. Yeah, it's my flight. Got delayed. That's on the last podcast. Oh, okay. God. Uh, um, and, okay, so now we're in San Diego, and this whole weekend was supposed to be epic freaking... Woo! And now it's kind of like... Hunt sharks and stuff. I guess tomorrow we're going to work on our new podcast that we're yes. going to do together. Tomorrow morning, because we ain't doing it. <laughs> kind of working not, out. Not, not particularly early. I've got... We could go to the beach. My suitcase has my... Uh, what are we going to do there? I don't know. Just stare at the, a the dolphin. Sand. And run. Uh, run on the sand. I have no running like, shoes, dude. You don't need shoes on the sand. Oh. You like chariots of fire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Dun, 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 dun. Anyway... So it's good to be here, man. Yeah, I'm glad you're here. It's once a year. Once a it's year. The, it's the uh, the yearly the yearly dose of Brett. <laughs> I sent Morgan a text message as I was leaving Phoenix. I'm like, prepare yourself, dude. <laughs> I've had a beer and a pizza, a medium Pete's coffee, one right after the other, and I am freaking wired, dude. So wait, I have a I have a question. So what actually prompted you to answer the phone in the plane while it was still in flight? It rang. <laughs> Okay, so, so that's probably a dumb question, but so I'm flying. I understand you're not I'm over to San Diego. I'm about five thousand feet in the air, and I get a phone call, <laughs> and I'm like, "Is this supposed to work up here?" Well, I guess. And so I Morgan guess. actually watched me land as I was talking on the phone in my aluminum vessel. You're the long, shiny aluminum vessel. Yeah. So that was kind of fun. The lady, there was a lady behind me that kept yanking on my seat. Oh, somebody kept yanking on my... Dude, this flight was from freaking hell. And it actually wasn't all that bad. It's just some weird crap happened. So, uh, the... And I'm, I finally, I turn around. I go, who the frick is yanking on my seat? And it's a lady, you know? And I'm like, oh, well, you know, like don't... A, don't like a lady? I'll get in trouble for punching her in the face. Lady. And then... <laughs> like a lady. <laughs> and, then, a uh, and then... And uh, then, as we're landing, I hear her throwing up. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to have to smell this, dude. And then there's a guy next to me that's too fat for the um, the seatbelt to work. Oh, no. And then, this is as we're taking off, right? Like, I notice that he can't get his seatbelt, whatever, done. And uh, then he finally, like, uh, like slices himself in half with the seatbelt to wedge himself in. And then he starts getting, uh, what the hell is that? Ah! 
they put there's wow. neon lights on the freaking cab thought, shining into your car dude it's like the Seinfeld episode with the chicken <laughs> the uh Kenny Rogers chicken <laughs> holy Rogers shit Memorial. that was blinding dude anyway um so then this guy next to me starts getting sleep apnea he starts snoring and then like like <laughs> like that like jolts awake every like 30 seconds that's oh man, that's yeah. comedy. And his left arm that was touching me was all ashy, you know. Oh. Yeah, it was gross, dude. I just to give him like here, here's some lubriderm, dude. Yeah. he wakes up and I'm rubbing his arm down. Like it's cool, dude. Just it's use, cool. Actually, there's lots this of, isn't gay. <laughs> there's lots of uh, healing properties in vomit. You could have just like used some of that late the ladies. Yeah. yeah. Let me let me rub, let me rub you down with lube, but no gay stuff. This is cool. <laughs> It's okay. If we start making out, that's it. It's It's cool. Just no gay stuff. Um, Okay, so uh, can we have a beer when we get back to your house? Yes. Okay. We need to. We got to talk about stuff. We have to acquire food (laughs) because I ate at six and it's one a.m. now. Did you sleep? You had to take a nap. I did not take a nap. And according to the Fitbit, I got like five hours of sleep last night. How I'm functioning, I don't know. I may be asleep right now. This could be a dream. <laughs> it's no freaking dream. It's a nightmare on my end. <laughs> but it's not bad. Yeah! I'm, st- I'm stoked to see you. Yeah, man. We, my schedule just got really cleared up tomorrow to do freaking nothing. Well, it looks like we're and just, you and I got shit to do. Stuff like to do. Bro, we're going to bro out. We're going to bro out. We're going to bro down. We're going to bro down with our lowdown. And the wife is not around, so... When's know? she coming back? How much can we trash your house? Like, um, I think they're coming back on Monday, so... Oh, that's cool. We can fuck some shit. Well, <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> bleep that out. My buddy, he's like, he just figured out I work for the government. And he's like, when's your conference start? And I said, on Monday. And he goes, you're flying out on Friday on my dollar. He's one of these people that I work for him. And I go, one, dude, you're not paying my salary, okay? You and like 10,000 other people are freaking paying. Your incremental pennies are paying my salary. So you don't own me, right? You don't own me. You don't know me. And then I said, and Saturday and Sunday, I'm staying at my buddy's house, right? And then the government thing, the government starts paying for it on Monday, you know, when the, when the uh, conference nobody, nobody starts. Nobody wants your sensical and argument. This is all by text message. And I go, and that's when we start with the hookers and blow. <laughs> and dude, he about died, dude. He said he was rolling on the floor laughing. He was like, okay, that's cool. Anyway, all right. Check y'all later. Out. Bing. Okay, we're still in, <laughs> we're still in Morgan's, uh, Virgin Slayer Sled. <laughs> and, uh. Are you gonna go back? We're and, about, wait, wait. Are you gonna go back and edit this and bleep out some of the? No, no, no. Oh, in post, yeah. You're yeah, okay. I'm gonna edit it's, all out in post. It's Pussy Slayer. Whoa. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, I might have to go. I have to go back and edit it. I had this friend in college who had a bro- his room. <laughs> was so like out of a freaking lounge you know we called it the virgin sacrifice pit <laughs> i remember the first time i saw it i'm like Red dude what do you you bring walls. you bring women in here to just slay them how can they resist all this blood? black leather <laughs> you know <laughs> Fucking uh, goat's blood. Uh, <laughs> goat's blood so anyway um I think there's a thing, Morgan and I were talking about business and like uh, getting less work done and more time. I think there's a thing as, you know, as you get older, because I'm starting to notice this, 
where as let's say you and I get more proficient at our jobs, right? Yeah. Well, experience gets you to the solutions faster. Right. So yeah, yeah. So like we can, as we get tons more experience, we're way more effective. But at the same time, because I, I notice this, I think um, we also struggle with the um, the illusion that we're not getting as much done. Right, because you're measuring output by minutes, and we can't, yeah. can't do that anymore. So, right, thank you. Morgan's paying for some nasty-ass tacos. <laughs> okay. It's 1 o'clock in the morning. We've got to eat something. And uh, so. Oh, yeah, a little bit of both, please. I think there's a phenomenon that as you get older, you... Um, here comes the bag of tacos. Thank you. Listen, this is healthy. Right there, hear that? That's, uh, that's... Oh, my God. Smells like the underside of a camel. What the hell is this? Anyway, why do you uh, have that as a reference point? <laughs> I don't understand. Wow. Whoa, there's a gang. It's a gang of. Anyway. Oh, God, they're like 18, maybe. Car. Um, so I think there's also a phenomenon of, kind of like midlife crisis, you know, is a phenomenon that just happens to people. I think there's a phenomenon of, of as professional people start to get older. There's a guilt complex that starts to creep in where you, you feel like you're not performing like you used to work-wise. Or you're seeing the threat. You're seeing the threat of the, the newcomers, right? If you're still in yeah. the same industry, kind of like I've been programming but, for a long time. But then if you step away and look at it from the outside and look in, not only are you, are you keeping up, but you're way outdoing the younger people because you're so much more effective. Um, you know all the tricks and, and everything to get stuff done so much faster. Outpacing the whippersnappers. Yeah. And that's where your value actually comes in. Is So I, I have people I work with that, that are new, you know, and they, they can't find their way. They're, they're constantly running into little problems to get the software to work. Yeah. Right? Stuff that you just know yeah. naturally. And I just walk over and I go, oh, you just do that and do that. And it seems easy to me and it doesn't even seem like work. But what's actually behind that is two decades of freaking experience. Yeah, you know? that's And that's, you can't quantify, you can't, um, the other people, you don't have the pain of not knowing anymore, right? So you end up... It doesn't feel like work. Yeah, you fly through to the to the end result, and you're like, oh, this is a piece of cake. It's like the 14-year-old kid across the street you have come over and like work on your computer, and you're like, wow, that was magic. <laughs> but, yeah, it's kind of the... Yeah, I don't know where I was going with that. Yeah, that was pretty good. That was pretty good. <laughs> I think I lost it. <laughs> It's anyway. late. I'm tired. Uh, anyway, put it's not. It's right not here. late. Right there. Yeah. Why? I don't know. It just feels like there should be one. Uh, okay. Now you're drifting. <laughs> okay. So. <laughs> I'm tired. Anyway, the uh, I'm tired. I don't want my tacos. I don't want my tacos. Um. So what I'm trying to say is what I'm what I'm thinking to under what I'm thinking that I'm that I'm learning is to not feel guilty. Those of us that are in our, you know, around turning 40, and those of us that are 50 probably already know this and would tell tell us 40-year-olds, right? Yeah, it's probably, there's probably Dude, a, a sack. They're sack looking back going, yeah, I remember there was, a, there was a stage where I stressed out that I had no value because I wasn't working. I felt like I wasn't working as hard uh, to get stuff done. Well, do they, but you're just working differently. Do they... Do you find workaholics more around, like, middle age, like, 40-ish? Or do you find workaholics... I guess you can find them at any... I guess... I don't know. Maybe 
Well, the workaholics that I know tend to be upper management. Yeah, and they tend to be and in their middle age. And I'm just like, right? yeah, and I'm like, and then the workaholics that are lower man or lower are young, and they're just getting started. Like, okay, so when I first started out, I was a workaholic like crazy because I was so into it. And then um, that is not my management philosophy. There's a bunny rabbit. Bunny rabbit. <laughs> and uh, but I think the people, but I also think the. Uh, the workaholics that are in their 40s and 50s have a limited time before they have a heart attack. Yeah, you know? that's that's true. And I think that's over true. time, people kind of, they settle in to where their personality, their workaholicness, they move as far up as their workaholicness takes them, right? Well, they, they if you're a 6 out of 10, you make middle management. And they start defining themselves by their job or the volume or yeah. the or the busy, right? They're like, I'm always busy, and yeah. that's my thing. If they're a 9 out of 10, they make busy. it all the way to CEO, you know? If they're a 1 out of 10, they're changing your oil. <laughs> that's true. Right? That's true. That's yeah. True. Maybe. All right. Let's eat. Hey. <laughs> all right. I was, I was about to tell Morgan a story, and I thought I'd share this with the world. Um, <laughs> this be we're having good. beers at 2 a.m. <laughs> And uh, here, I'll, I'll come sit closer oh, to you yeah. so that we can get your reaction on audience. Okay, so I was telling him. Okay, so Dennis, uh, <laughs> Dennis, uh, and Meet the Fockers, the guy's dad. The hippie dad. The hippie dad. What's his name? <laughs> Everybody's like saying his <laughs> name right now. Uh. I'll just look up the cast. God, he's like plastics, plastics from uh, freaking that '70s movie. Dustin Hoffman. That, Dustin Hoffman. Okay, I was thinking Dennis Hopper. Plastics. Yeah. We got two words. For got two you. words. Plastics. Plastics. No, one word. Plastic. Anyway, um, so but the other dad, who's played by uh, De Niro, right? I was oh, telling dude. Morgan that that's my dad, right? And when Emily and I watch this movie, like, oh my god, it's your dad, the psychopath CIA. <laughs> Got to be all yeah. into all other in business. Yeah. And we had a Himalayan cat growing up, by yeah. the way. <laughs> and uh, a little, little, little tiny nipple. So, um, so my brother and I, we had a two-story house, and we would uh, sneak down at Christmas to see it, what Christmas presents were like put on the fireplace. Chi- all children. Yeah. Do. And see what Christmas presents were on the fireplace. And so we would walk down the stairwell real quiet, you know, and like sneak around. Now, now we're up against my parents, right? My mom's like crazy smart, and my dad's an ex-Vietnam vet. <laughs> That's, that, okay, that right there is making up for a little. And looking there. back now, my dad is bored, <laughs> and he's got two <laughs> sons that are probably like I was probably ten, right, or eleven, and the other son's like thirteen. So he's like, I'm gonna put them in their place. Okay, oh, this is so crazy. my brother and I, like, the, I think my parents did this because the year before, my brother and I successfully snuck down, and they could tell that we kind of knew what the oh, presents yeah, were, right, kind of playing it. around with it and yeah. stuff, and they could tell. This one's a football. <laughs> yeah, uh, and uh, we were ruining the surprise of walking down their their picture perfect 1950s, um, you know, um, America Christmas. Did you guys have tinsel and shit on your tree, or were they flocked? Yeah, and the cat would eat the tinsel, yeah. and then I have to clean out the litter box, and the the turds would be connected together with tinsel, yeah. and like the rubber bands that we would chew dog, to the cat. Dog almond roca, call it cat roca. <laughs> so, um, so my brother and I, uh, 
the uh, stairwell goes down and then takes a left and then goes down some more, right? And then uh, the the floor down at the bottom of the stairwell is hard tile mm-hmm. um, that just can connects right just <laughs> yeah. freaking tile yep. and a credenza that when you come in the front door just there's like place this. To put your shit. yeah and uh so anyway my brother and i are sneaking down and we're holding onto the banister right we're sneaking down and all we're about halfway down and all of a sudden it's the freaking loudest noise you've ever heard in your entire life it was like a freaking 18 wheeler crash through the front of the freaking house right is what it sounded like right right so we run upstairs. I mean, dude, it's freaking loud, loud. And so we run upstairs, and then, like, my brother, we have rooms that kind of face each other a little bit. So he hops in his bed, and I hop in mine. Look we look, we're looking at each other like our eyes are huge. Like, what the fuck happened? <laughs> and then uh, we lay there, and then after a while, um, my dad comes up. He goes, what you boys doing? And I go, nothing. What, what was that noise? Dad, he goes, hmm, I don't know. I'm not really sure. Right, and then uh, we start to go back then, and then we hear this weird noise that sounds kind of like somebody rearranging some pots and pans or something. Right, and we're like, "What the hell?" Okay, so we wait <laughs> like <laughs> half an hour. Right, long oh, yeah, freaking yeah, time. Yeah. Oh, it's probably like three Clearly. minutes. To, uh, it's probably three minutes. Clearly, everybody's gone to bed. <laughs> yeah. And then, yes. And my dad's probably downstairs giggling. Right. So then my brother gets up and he goes, "Let's go, let's go do it again." <laughs> right. And so, so. Uh, we start walking down the stairs, and this time my brother's smartened up. He's leading the way down, and he's using like a flashlight or something to see. Oh, and he and I had talked. Like we were in my room or his room. You guys like, had a plan. Yeah, we we're like, what the hell Did was that? We have no freaking idea, right? And uh, so somehow he's got something and a, and a <clears throat> flashlight or something like that. And we're, we're um, he, <laughs> we start walking down the stairs, and my brother goes, "Wait, wait, what's that?" We look, and there's a string across the freaking stairwell. Oh, what? And He's got you set up with a tripwire. There's freaking Viet, <laughs> Viet Cong freaking tripwires oh, across man. several of them, dude. Like, all running through the railings of the banister, down at foot level, knee level, like waist level, like all kinds of stuff. Of black thread. Black thread, just thread. And then we look with the with the flashlight and can finally trace it. And at the edge of the credenza, you know, like three feet above the tile floor, is camping pots and pans, <laughs> right? From Boy Scouts, they're all stacked up in that string. They're they're hanging off the and edge. Start banging against each other. When no, no, they're hanging just just barely hanging onto the credenza. And then the string is tied to the handle of like the frying pan. Uh-huh. And then all these pots and pans are stacked up on top of it. So you just touch that thread, and the whole thing comes crashing down, <laughs> right? Your dad's funny. And so my out. brother starts like lifting totally up a leg. Do that to my kids. It's man. freaking a great idea, dude. Let me get back. It's it's so entertaining, right? So anyway, so my brother starts lifting his leg up and going over one, and I'm going over one, right? Now we're now we're in, right? This guys, is this is like a challenge. Cat, cat burglars in yeah, a yeah. museum going underneath the because we fancy we fancy ourselves pretty freaking smart, right? And so. <laughs> Then we get around the edge and in the living room. We're not even down the stairs yet. My brother um, flashes the light around the corner of of that whole foyer entry area Mm -hmm. kind of stuff. And in the living room, we see something kind of on the floor. And my brother takes and gets around a little bit more. And on the floor is my dad sleeping in his Vietnam sleeping bag. (laughs) 
<laughs> so he's either having a full-on flashback. Yeah. Dude. Or, or or he's my hero. Yeah. <laughs> or a little oh, we were off. like, holy crap, he's camped out <laughs> with trip wires and everything. All by the Christmas present. <laughs> oh, dude. That's, that's good great. stuff, dude. That is, I don't have any stories like that. Oh, wait. I'm sure I do. Yeah. I'm sure you do if you think oh, about it. Yeah. Yeah. That's a pretty good one, though. Yeah. Right? <laughs> that's anyway. awesome. All right, I'm here with the uh, Morgans. What's up, dude? What up? We're back in the uh, the black lead sled. <laughs> lead sled. Yeah. And uh, dude, we just went paddle boarding, stand up paddle boarding at Carlsbad Lagoon, Lagoon. which is very salty. It, oh, it was kind of. You quickly found out. Oh yeah. Well, and then I found out shortly after. That was the first time I had done that before, so okay. I fell off. Right, right quick. Yeah, so we're sitting around and I gotta, I gotta roll the window down. it's taken a long time for my luggage to show up, but what can we do? We can go paddle boarding, dude. Stand up paddle boarding. That's what, it's like a giant surfboard um, that you have like a canoe paddle for people that don't know this. And, uh, Who wouldn't know that? You stand. Lots of people don't know about really? that, dude. Yeah. And, uh, it's a thing. Yeah. <laughs> Lots of people. Jesus Christ. And so... And I really wanted to go more than anything to kind of learn. I've, I've been stand-up paddle boarding before, twice. And uh, one time in Oregon and one time in the canal south of Houston off of Clear Lake, which is full of freaking alligators. And um, But I'm really wanting to get a board. But I want to go on enough boards so I kind of know what I like and what I'm looking for so I don't spend too much money. And maybe I can find a model that I like and then find it for sale, you know, on Craigslist or something like that. Anyway, so I really wanted to go and kind of see what they were using. I was very happy with the boards they had. Yeah, no, they they, they were in good condition yeah, and they were they're, they're pretty stable. And they were very beginner boards, but I'm cool with that. I don't care. Um, then uh, no, nobody saw me shrug on the podcast. No, yeah. <laughs> I just shrugged like yeah. that. I turned the mic at yeah. at Morgan for him to say something, and he looked at the mic and then shrugged like, yeah. You could have just said we should. Yeah, do, oh, dude, we should do a segment on the podcast that's just interpretive dance. I've been doing it the past three minutes. <laughs> anyway, so dance, <laughs> dance. We just hit a speed bump. People didn't know that. That's good, dude. People like that. Um. <laughs> Anyway, we rented for an hour. It's 30 bucks for an hour at Carlsbad Lagoon. And in this lagoon, it's kind of like a lake, except it's a lagoon, so it's salty. So um, I would say it's a really good place to learn. So if you're coming out to SoCal and you want to learn to stand the paddleboard, learn there. Yep. They, it's a little bit rent, more controlled. Uh, they rent kayaks, and uh, they'll rent you jet skis and stuff, too. So yeah. it's a good place you come out with kids. Yeah, and so it's kind of like a small San lake. San Diego. And, <laughs> San Diego. San Diego. And... Um, we went out half an hour, turned around, came back half an hour. Going into the winds, uh, much slower than going with it. And I fell in, and Morgan got Morgan started taking a video. He has, he has a uh, waterproof uh, Kodak, kind of like flip cam kind of thing. And uh, he he was taking video of me, and then that's when I fell down. So there's a video Morgan captured it perfectly of me kind of paddling around like a, I'm not going anywhere, but I'm kind of like paddling around like I know what I'm doing a little bit, right? Just kind of paddling around, and we're yeah. talking. Yeah. That lasts about three seconds. Well, I think it, there's <laughs> then, a magic gravity patch you went over. Yeah. Well, what's funny is when the wake comes, it throws you 
it's hard, man, you know, if you're not good at it yet. We were, we were only like 15 or 20 minutes into that. And I've got, I have, let's see, yeah, I have about 10, 15 minutes of practice the first time I've ever stand-up paddleboard, and I've got about 45 minutes no time, so I have an hour's worth of previous practice. And then, what was that, about 15 minutes in? So I have an hour and 15 minutes. But I was doing pretty good. Um, I managed to outlast you falling. <laughs> I was, I, I tell you, we were you three, fell pretty quick. Five minutes in, yeah, I fell yeah. off. So I was like, okay, but I'm, but I'm also not opposed to falling in at all. In fact, at one time later, I fell in. I jumped, I jumped off, in on purpose, yeah. and that's I think that's the whole the cool thing about paddle boards is you can jump off and then hop back on really really easily. Super easy to yeah. get back on. And um, so then when you because what happens is, and I remember me me yelling at you um, from. Because we're out on a lake, so I have to yell. Hey! <laughs> I have to yell. Um, I actually want to not fall in. I want to get in. I want to fall in eventually to cool off, but I want to try to like make it last a little bit longer until I'm hot to make the sunscreen kind of soak in a little bit better so it'll last a little bit longer. Turns out this sunscreen's like freaking <laughs> like pins oil, dude. I don't know what the hell's going on. I'm all sticky. We just caused a natural I'm icky. I got the sticky icky, dude. Oh, right. That's Rubios, Rubios. We need some fish tacos. Y'all, oh, wait, I have a, I've got a rule with Rubios. Uh huh. Um, no more than twice a day. Oh. <laughs> it's like me and Freebirds. Uh, uh, do you remember um, the Weasel, uh, Pauly Shore, oh. on MTV, yes. right? The Weasel. The and he goes, oh, there's sticky icky all over this room, Kiwis, <laughs> like that. Um, what the hell? Is this a parking lot? Oh, it is. Oh, look, there's a spot oh, for dude, you. Oh, dude, they knew I was, I was coming. Oh, is that one of those? Uh, no, it's not. Oh, we're just going to get it to go. No, that's cool. That's a good spot. Whoa! whoa, whoa! <laughs> dude, you almost got dented. He's got two Apple stickers on his rear glass, so it's cool. <laughs> Come on, people. Self-awareness. Understand your surroundings. You've never hit anything with your car. No, no. No, actually, you know what my wife likes to do with the cars? She likes to run the both cars I own into each other. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good. That's, that's good. That's real That's real nice. Yeah, so, that's, um, that's uh, before we go in, okay, so uh, stand-up paddleboarding, cool video, me falling in that Morgan was taking. He, cool. he happened to be taking, you know, like a 10-second long video at, at the, the time. exact time that I fell in, which is really funny. Paddleboard is super cool because you can hop in and get back on a paddleboard really cool, really easily. Feet can kind of go numb if you're a newbie. Cause yeah, my feet, my feet went to sleep. You put weird. too much stress on your feet to try to yeah. balance it, I think, and it makes your toes go numb. And then um, it's like so it's like canoeing, and uh, they're big, but they're real simple. Yeah, no, it's and it you liked it, dude. Easy. You were zoned. You were like, I got man, that was zone. Yeah. I love. I just love being on the water. Yeah. That's my thing. So you liked it. I'm in right. zone. Cool. Out. Fish taco. Fish taco. All right. I am in Morgan's living room working on coaching, uh, building out plans for people. And we're about to go swim in La Jolla Cove. We'll have more of that in a minute. Chris Haig is coming over. And he's, gosh, man, like semi-pro, I guess. <laughs> kind of depends on what he wants to do with his life. And um, Morgan's upstairs getting dressed. I think I'm ready to go. And I thought I'd try something here. We've got uh, some donations to the show, and I thought instead of having a huge chunk of donations to the show, we ought to mix them in, and then that way they're not too long, and people will start zoning out, you know. So we have uh, Simon Wright, 
Super cool, man. Thanks for donating to the show. And also, uh, Peter Thornhill in English, an American, and uh, in, I think he said he's from Sweden or Finland or Norway. Which one was it? Anyway, he's from up north in uh, Northern European, and he is Per Thornhill. And um, I love talking to Per because he's super cool about me mispronouncing his name, and he knows I'm very appreciative of him helping out. So you too can help out the show by going to zentrathlon.com on the left-hand side and donating. All right, let's see. There was something else. Morgan and I have been having some really good talks about uh, writing books and training ideas, things like that. And also we've been bouncing around a wetsuit or not for today's swim. It's 72 degrees, and this is where metrics really help you out. Um, from previous swims and wearing the uh, Sunto Ambit, um, but has a thermometer in it. So when you download your workouts and live, even it'll show you the temperature of the water. I know that I can swim in 70 degree water for an hour and survive barely. And actually I've put on about five pounds or more since then. So, um, I uh, could probably do a little bit better than just barely survive in 70 degrees. And the cove is 72 degrees, so don't need a wetsuit, theoretically. We'll find out for sure. And I think that's it. We'll be back in just a moment. Out. All right, I'm here with Chris Haig. How's it going, man? Not too bad. All right, that's really good. All right, we've got to talk really quick because the music might come back on for the World Cup. Yeah, it's going to be a... Uh... Uh, right halftime right now, 0-0, zero, zero, and uh, the German fans are getting anxious, so we better make this quick. <laughs> they, they need... Aktun! Schnell, schnell! We need this gold. Okay, so this is your first time swimming across La Jolla Cove? Yeah, it was awesome. Um, great time to test out the West suit and uh, get some open water swimming in and uh, work on sighting and everything. It's cool. The, the cliff part where you first get in on, the, on La Jolla Cove. Oh, no! Oh, crap, more later. All right, we're here with uh, Chris and Morgan. Yo, hey. Back in the Let's Lead again. So, how was this one, dude? It was awesome. I definitely want to go back to the cove. Yeah. And buoy, never done it before. Nope. So there's buoys that kind of mark the way a little bit. And how does it feel coming up on the shore on the other side? It feels like you just pretty much just ride the waves in. Yeah. So it's like body surfing for the last 50 meters. And you got to see a shark? Yep, saw, you know, curling around around the sand on the bottom of the ocean, so that was sweet. And then coming into uh, Back to the Rocks, you get to see all these fish coming in, like, in and out of the seaweed. Yeah. It, that, was, that was cool. That's a lot of fun, dude. I try to chase some of them to scare them and see what they do. And then I chase them just a few feet, and then I, then I get scared. Because I don't know what's going to come up out of those rocks at, back at me. You know, like a moray eel. Maybe be like, no, you're too close, bro. How about how about you, Morgan? What's up? Into the uh, uh, what? What? What's oh, up? The swim? Oh, what's up, dude? It was awesome. It's always awesome. Swim it's the always awesome. awesome. Okay. Uh, then we went and grabbed some food, and because of the World Cup game, standing room only in most of La Jolla. Yeah, we had to go to the third restaurant to finally find a place that we could put an order in, even. And then we ended up eating sandwiches in a hookah bar. Yes, of all places to end up is a freaking hookah bar. Surprisingly good, but nevertheless, yeah. it was you know, jam-packed. Up in there. Yeah. <laughs> a little smoky in a hookah bar. Who would have think, thought, don't. Thank. 
All right. So good times, good times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Fun. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and so what did you, you already had a swim workout this morning though? Yep. Went down. And to who did you say that like sometimes is in your swim practice? What are name um, name drop some pros? Well, I swam with um, Kaylee Jones. I think it was on Wednesday. She popped in. Um, the Y actually charged her twenty bucks to swim because her membership had lapsed. <laughs> um, so she was a little uh, beside herself with that. But they opened up the roof for her, which was nice. And uh, she swam in uh, lane two with us. Yeah. Um, led the lane and dominated us all. But it was, it was fun times. And then this morning I swam with my uh, my coach and then one of our other athletes down at the, the Mission Valley Y outside, which is awesome. We did so, a nice little workout then. What was your swim workout this morning? Um, we warmed up for a thousand meters and then we did four by f- um, eight by fifty or eight by twenty five builds, and then we did four rounds of the main set, which was one hundred on one fifteen. 450s on 45, 50 all out, and then a 200 pull on uh, tempo base, and then a 50 easy kick. And we did that four times, and then we did some drill work and finished up. So about 4,600, I think it was 46 wow. to five. Yeah, 46. Yeah, awesome. nice, dude. That's yeah, a good workout. That's that is a pretty rad workout. Yeah, yeah. cool. The speed work and uh, getting some drill form at the end. It was, it was kind of a recover half recovery swim, half intensity. So what's your next race? I've got a little dinky Olympic up in Bend at the end of this month, and then my big one this year is Silverman over uh, uh, out in Vegas on October 5th. Cool, dude. All right, dude. Hey, what's up? I'm in my hotel room in San Diego after hanging out with Chris all day, all afternoon. Morgan in the morning, Chris mostly in the afternoon, and then going up to... Um, Oh, what's it called? Uh, uh, Whole Foods to eat um, eat dinner at the uh, salad bar and then do some grocery shopping for the week. And um, we were actually not at Whole Foods, but at Sprouts, but it works just the same. I tweeted this. that <laughs> The thing is, is that uh, Whole Foods hires like, or I guess they hire anybody, but the people that want to work at Whole Foods are generally, they all look like either roadies as in rock band roadies or rock stars or uh, slam poets or something. I mean, they are just the craziest, most eclectic group. And um, and they're all super, super cool and mellow, and it's really nice. And uh, we were at uh, Sprouts, which is, a, which is a competitor. It's very similar. And uh, grabbing a granola bar and, uh, and sparkling water. And uh, the girl that was checking us out looked exactly like Amy Winehouse, except for... Um, a little bit lighter colored hair. And so I tweeted that Amy Winehouse is alive and well and working at Whole Foods. And a few people retweeted that. If you have ever been to Whole Foods and checked out your food through there, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Your cashier can either look like Amy Winehouse or a guy that might ride a penny farthing around or a um, it might look like the lead singer of Pantera or <laughs> or a... Uh, usually there's some kind of hippie, uh, uh, hipster, hippie or and or hipster, and um, some variation on that. So it's pretty crazy. Anyway, um, I wanted to explain that tweet. It was pretty funny. And so I went to the grocery store last night and bought, you know, like an organic raisin bran and bananas and apples and carrots and almond butter. And what else did I get? I got something else. Oh, coconut milk for my cereal instead of regular milk. And, um, and that's the kind of stuff I've got um, the, to snack on and eat on uh, for the first few days 
while I'm here and bring a Ziploc bag with some of that stuff like the carrots and, and whatnot to, um, to the conference I'm going to every day and snack on that instead of honey buns and uh, uh, chocolate chip cookies. Okay, I love me some chocolate chip cookies, so I'm not saying I'm perfect. But anyway, the other thing is I noticed today some really good tweets. Um, and one, one of them was, <laughs> I'm now on Twitter. It sounded like it comes from a boss. It sounded so great. I'm on Twitter and realized that none of you assholes are working. <laughs> <laughs> it's now evident that nobody's working. I thought that was really funny. And then um, the other one is, um, oh, I noticed Brett Sutton donated our man like Placid, that uh, fundraiser that we're going to talk more about, and uh, the pay, pay 10 deep. And then uh, what was the other thing? Oh, so go Sonia who is um, a very, she might be the number one, she's been on the show reading the news one time, number one ranked uh, female, um, 35 to 39 age grouper based out of Colorado. Um, and she's a coach and um, she's just fantastic, super cool. Um, has a kid, a uh, little girl, I think that's uh, same kind of situation as Kai where she was preemie or something like that. Um, I'm, I may be going off course here. But anyway, she and I get along. I like her a lot. And uh, she tweeted something that I thought was just so interesting and insightful. And this was what it said. Learning the art of quietly and calmly laying down a ton of training. Less and less desire to spew my efforts to the world. Hashtag hard, hashtag inner peace. So it's both hard, but it does lead to inner peace. And I read that, and I was like, that is really, really cool. And um, I find myself in the same situation. I want to explain what this is. Um, first off, it's learning the art, which means it's something that takes practice and, um, and is actually a technique and a skill, and you just don't do it. And then uh, we're breaking this down piece by piece. And then of quietly and calmly laying down a ton of training. So that's instead of laying down a ton of train, training and talking about it on Twitter. Okay. And uh, every little detail and every uh, photo of every single thing. Right. And then, um, then a period. And then uh, less and less desire to spew my efforts to the world. So uh, that means she, all this is happening because she uh, doesn't want, doesn't feel the need to tell people about it. And I almost tweeted back to it and then I just kind of left it alone, and, which is also kind of similar <laughs> in the same vein as what she's saying. And uh, because my thoughts on it were... What's going on here is when you're doing something with yourself and you really want to keep telling the world about it, it's a, um, what, what's going on is um, you have a little bit of, of uh, lack of self-confidence in yourself and what you're doing, and then, um, and then by putting it out there publicly, you're kind of um, putting it out there so that other people can verify yes or no that what you're doing, and then you're like, okay, good. 
Um, because if enough people say that's good, then you're like, okay, I feel good. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just a normal process of getting confident in yourself and what you're doing. So, um, because if it's, if, if it's new to you or it's unfamiliar to you, of course you're not going to have that much confidence in it, you know? And, um, and we see this all the time where people, um, act a certain way or dress a certain way where they're trying to get, um, some attention and then uh, the, ten- the attention is validation that you're doing something, right? So it feeds back to itself. It's a normal, totally fine thing to do. And then the point, though, here is what, what's going on. Um, and I'm saying that sh- she said this, but I'm feeling the same way too, and I'll tell you why in a minute. Um, you're, as you get more confident of who you are and what you're doing, you notice, hopefully, that you do this less and less, right? Um, You don't feel the need to put stuff out there constantly that I'm doing this and I'm doing that and I'm doing this and I'm doing that, right? And um, I would say it even goes to the point, like in the world of triathlon, you you feel the need less and less to race and because the racing is a validation of your training, and the more you, um, as you race more and more, and you find out your fitness and your abilities, you don't really need to race anymore to ensure that you're fit, right? You do an Ironman to prove that you're fit. That's the first, you know, the first time you do one. It's to prove that you can do it. Well, once you do it, and then you do a bunch more, then you're kind of like, well, I don't really need to. Um, do pay a bunch of people other other people a bunch of money to do a race to show that I'm fit that I'm really really fit because I can just train and then looking at my training results I can validate that I'm super fit you know and or so majorly fit and then um I don't need to you know pay somebody else 700 800 dollars to um say look Okay, look at me. Look what I did. Because you already know that you could do it because you've got all the the stuff put together, right? Um, So uh, back to what I was saying. Um, As as I figured out my triathlon training, I noticed this recently better and my nutrition better, and I changed my training style. This is really important to be polarized. Um, I realized that the value of so many miles at X miles, X miles per hour, right? 20 miles at 20 miles per hour is both not useful and also, um, also leads to uh, getting overtrained, which is really dangerous, right? So instead... Because then what you're doing is you're kind of going medium hard all the time, and then you're trying to chase these numbers around, and it ends up wearing you out. Um, and then when you do polarized training, you you go out for time, and then you do some intervals, right? And um, how far you went and for how long gets all screwed up when you do that. And um, because when you're going really hard, you're going really hard, and then when you're going really easy you're going really easy and you're never going for distance over time 
You know, you're just, uh, you save that for races, for example. Um, uh, <clears throat> hold on, I need to walk over here. So um, I've noticed that as I'm tweeting stuff, as I started getting more and more into Polarize, I started getting away from tweeting, you know, like, uh, yeah, 20 miles, 20 miles per hour, this uh, six-mile run with uh, at six-something-minute-mile pace and stuff like that um, all the time. What I've noticed is sometimes I do that, but I'm not doing it anymore to prove uh, what I can do, right? Um, if it's interesting then it's interesting. So like when Chris Haig and I went running, I went running with this guy, Chris Haig, who's a freaking phenomenally good runner. And we ran eight and a half miles at an 850 pace with a thousand feet of elevation gain. Right. And that was, and the, 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 I tweeted that also by noting saying at the same time, and that was his quote unquote easy right? Now it's getting interesting. That's something worth tweeting about, you know? Um, and, uh, the, um, hold on, I'm having a, I'm having a brain fart moment here. There, there's something going on in the next room in my hotel. I have to tell you guys about later. There's a guy that keeps throwing up <laughs> and they can hear me. I, I can hear him. So I know he can hear me. So I, I have trouble recording because I know they can hear me. I'm sitting here talking about this stuff and they're, you know, like puking and stuff. It's really crazy. Um, okay, let's go back. So I thought that tweet was really interesting. I think it's a coming-of-age tweet. Um, she's about the same age as me. I think she's a little bit younger. and um, But, you know, let's say mid, mid, mid late 30s. Like, say, say she's 37, I guess. I don't know. But it's kind of like as you realize more and more who you are and you get more and more comfortable with yourself and I think as you zero in on your abilities and you get more self-confidence then you don't feel the need to um, talk about stuff so much you'll see it in um, teenagers turning into 20 year olds you like the way they dress um, uh, so somebody that's really outlandish and, and publishes about themselves constantly is um, uh, is classic um, sending out a signal like, uh, validate, validate me, validate me, you know, and, um, and they need a hug <laughs> for people to say, it's cool, man. You know, you can just be yourself. Don't, don't try so hard, you know, to tell other people what you're doing. It's almost like, um, I ran, I biked 20 miles at, uh, 20 miles per hour at 140, uh, beats per minute heart rate right right so it's kind of like the right is always tagged on to the end of it when if you can that's basically what they're saying when they say something like that you know um i thought it's really really interesting and i'm not i'm not picking on sonia i'm saying i'm the exact same way and i'm in the exact same boat and and um in that realizing and maybe she's not at all uh doing that um, I'm just saying that I've noticed with myself that I'm getting uh, more away from posting the overall numbers from a workout. And um, I'll link to them so people can check them out if they want because I'm sponsored by Sunto and it helps Sunto for people to see what you can document. But um, as far as, you know, posting, this is what I did. Um, 
it, what I've noticed is I don't freaking care. I don't care if other people know or not, right? And that's the big difference is um, before you have self-confidence in what you're doing, you really care what other people think. And you do it by posting. You try to get feedback by posting what's there. So I thought I'd comment on that. All right, back to your regularly scheduled program. Out. Hey, what's up, people? I'm running. I'm running. <laughs> I'm running up Bachman Place over and over again. I did it on the bike the other day, yesterday. It's super, super steep. It's like a eight-minute long hill. And that's if I was booking it. Maybe seven minutes. But <laughs> I went swimming last night with Morgan. And we got to the YMCA. And they wanted to charge $20 to go swim. And my, the first thing I said, Morgan started dying laughing. I go, what are you doing? Showing a movie in there? But I went ahead and swam anyway. And props to Morgan. <laughs> Morgan goes, no, I'm not paying $20 to swim. Can I sit on the side and just watch and not pay anything? And they're like, yeah, I guess so. <sighs> 20 freaking dollars at the Mission Valley YMCA. And Morgan said, uh, I pay like $4 for a drop-in swim at my YMCA or wherever I belong. And I'm like, well, sorry. So, San Diego's expensive. This is a really steep hill. It's cut into the wall. A canyon wall, like a, the edge of a plateau. You know how a plateau can be really steep? At the top of the hill, it's called Hillcrest, which is the neighborhood. And it's the gay neighborhood in San Diego. Which means... It's the most fun and coolest neighborhood in San Diego. The most lively. It's freaking crazy up there. There's a Whole Foods up there. And that's where I eat dinner almost every night. So I go to the Whole Foods salad bar and get a ton of greens first. And then add whatever else I want on top of it. Maybe I should start a movement called Greens First. That's really all you need. And like I was saying, it's expensive here. I took a picture of it. I just passed it again because I'm doing hill repeats. A picture of a shopping cart turned over into the gutter. I took a picture and tweeted it. Saying, oh, look, I finally found a place I can afford. There's homeless people living in the in the bushes here where I'm running. And then I felt kind of bad. Like, man, is that not... Making fun of San Diego for being too expensive. You know, only place you can live is in a shopping cart. And then, minutes later, like two minutes later, out of the bushes, literally, walks a guy clean cut going to there's a hospital right up here at the top of the hill 
look, looking like a doctor. He was wearing scrubs, clean cut. Could have been a doctor or like a radiology technician or something, anesthesiologist or something, or a nurse. Just comes out of the bushes, you know. <laughs> I'm like, well, obviously he was cutting through the bushes to get somewhere. But the appearance was that he was living in the bushes too. And he's a doctor. I just saw a Tesla. It'd be funny if he came out of the bushes and got in his Tesla and then drove off. I wouldn't be too far off, really. So I'm not running up this hill hard because I'm actually working on a uh, bike focus, trying to manipulate and manage my workouts so the bikes are hard to improve my FTP and we'll get that, I'll describe it in a second. And the runs are easy, so my legs aren't too tired, so that I have good bike workouts. I'm passing a parking garage here. It's on the side of a freaking mountain. Okay. FTP is functional threshold. Uh, P? What is P? I forgot. It's hard to think and run. Up a hill next to a parking garage, cars backed up behind me. There we go. You got it, bro. You can park. What is the P stand in FTP, man? How can I not remember that? That's bizarre. I can't remember that. Okay. Because that's what triathletes live by. FTP. But anyway, it's the maximum amount of power that you can sustain for an hour. I'll remember the P later and be like, God dang it. And then uh, if you know that number, it's usually in watts. It's always in watts. Then you can extrapolate that out to all kinds of things. You would know how hard to go, your potential, in all different kinds of races. So people are always working to increase their FTP. So FTP would be 200 watts, 250 watts, 280 watts, you're starting to get really good. Three pros are probably doing 300 watts. Plus, it depends on your body weight. So you take that FTP. It's watts per kilogram of body weight. I think when you hit four watts per kilogram of body weight, you're pretty freaking badass. I'm at like 3.8. Not quite there. So anyway... So I'm running up this hill, but I'm just running up it easy to get a nice little workout. I'm almost at the top now. When I started recording, we're about halfway up. 
Probably gonna run it three times. So years and years ago, before I got into triathlon, Emily's brother got an amoeba in his eye, swimming at Lake Travis. And it started out feeling kind of like pink eye. And then he felt it etching across his eye. That's the top. Nine minutes and 11 seconds. Okay, yeah, I can do one more. Run down the bottom and do one more. And I need to drink something. What I like to do is after I do an interval, like, you know, four minutes, six minutes, eight minutes hard, just after that, and I'm going easy now, just running downhill, just jogging downhill, nice and easy. Let's take a sip of my fuel, a big glug, and then while I'm going easy, it gives it a chance for the body to absorb it. And then you can use it on the next hill, next interval, whatever you're doing. Do it. I did it last night while swimming. I did four by eight minutes. Hold on. I just ran by a guy that looks like he's got issues. I look like I got issues. <laughs> he's probably like, what the hell is that guy doing? Okay. Now I'm running back by the parking garage again. People are backing up their car. Teslas and Priuses. Okay. Let's see. I'll run by this and I get hit. There's an old Dodge Dart. It's pretty nice. So he could see something. His eye was getting weird kind of infected so he went to the doctor and you know you're in trouble when the doctor goes hold on I gotta go get some more people to check this out so he leaves and then comes back with more doctors and they're like holy crap you've got that amoeba whatever the Latin name is that kills people in like two days three days it's in your eye it's etching a path across your eye <laughs> that's what you're seeing so they gave him some really strong antibiotics and let him come in after hours on the weekend to the doctor's office, the optometrist, to uh, keep getting checked out. And he eventually got rid of it, like in a few days. And they're like, you are one of the four people that gets this a year that lived. Like, out of the... Out of four or five or six people that get it, only one or two live. Everybody else dies. And it's probably because you got it in your eye and not up your nose. So what it does is it likes to go in your nose and then it drills a path to your brain and then kills you. And it happens several times a year to people. You'll see it in the news. And just in the news, a girl in Kansas got it and died. 
people need to know about this, especially in the summer. Warm water. And the water needs to be around... Go look it up, because I'm wrong about this. But the water needs to be around at least 78, 80 degrees or something like that. And shallow and still. Morning. And that water is a healthy habitat for this amoeba. So what you're talking about is the shoreline of lakes in the summer. And if you splash around in the shoreline and kick up sediment, which is what kids and grown-ups do, and then dive in, which is what people do at the start of races, you're standing waist-deep, kicking up sediment and warm water, and then go. Well, you're getting this thing jammed up your nose because you're slamming your face in the water. And they're like, well, one simple protection is to wear nose plugs if you're in a place where this is happening. Well, in a place where this is potential, it can happen anywhere. It's an amoeba. Shit's everywhere. Yeah. Freaking on Mars. So... We're going to spend a bazillion, billion dollars going to Mars, and then when we get there, we're going to do it. <laughs> An amoeba's going to kill everybody within days, or some kind of bacteria, because nobody's got a resistance to it. <sighs> Don't be the first people to go, I'm just saying. <laughs> Somebody you kind of only like a little bit, like, I'm going to go to Mars, be like, yeah, you go the guinea pig and let us know what it's, what it's like. I'm running downhill. So last summer, well, Kai's triathlon team goes and swims in a lake that's kind of warm. And they swim on the shoreline and they practice sprints and stuff. And I'm like, yeah. The days they go do that, I'm like, Kai, maybe you should skip practice. I'll take you to the swimming pool. There's chlorine in that thing. And I've sent the email to the coach. And before I read this article, I didn't really have a solution. But I do like the solution of wearing nose plugs. That's kind of cool. That's a totally doable, reasonable, whatever. You know? keep it from going up your nose and killing you so Emily just sent me a text message I haven't even really read it yet well I haven't seen I haven't read the article but the link it's a picture of an article it's in the front page of our newspaper about it about this amoeba so again shallow water people kicking up sediment and it doesn't matter how much sediment it's any sediment because you never know and then getting water rammed up your nose usually from swimming hard or diving in or playing splashing the amoeba builds a highway to your brain and kills you and 
like two days or something. Lethal, lethal, lethal. It's especially lethal because it just seems like you have a cold. And bam, dead. So be careful. Okay, I'm going to finish running this hill. Try not to get stabbed by a homeless doctor. All right, out, Bing. All right, it is, what day is it? It's Friday morning, and I want to do a quick review of the Sotero saddle, the specialized Sotero saddle, um, on Dustin's Fuji that he lent me. And first off, man, Dustin, thank you so much, dude. That bike was wired, man. Dustin shows up, lets me borrow this uh, really rad all-carbon bike, and um, ride it for the week. I was going to do a spin lister and rent a bike, um, and he just saved me a ton of money. And the the bike, uh, I'm a little bit too big for it, but um, I was still able to make it work just by not riding in the in the totally arrow position, just riding on the on the horns, you know, uh, most of the time. And getting in some workouts on it. Uh, there's a hill nearby, and I rode twice up and down that thing. Um, well, I mean, two different days. Uh, one day I did six hill repeats, and uh, two days later I did seven hill repeats on it. And it was a really good workout. And I couldn't have done it without you. Man, thanks a lot, Dustin. And um, man, he keeps his bike cool. Hold on. Ugh. Just ate breakfast. He keeps his bike clean. Like, I think it was really tight, man. It was awesome. Um, okay, but anyway, the, the really cool thing that was on it was a specialized Sotero seat, which came out a year or so ago. Um, you don't see much of them because they're... Uh, they're kind of expensive. I looked up the price because I was like, man, this is this is a really comfortable seat. <laughs> um, how much uh, does this cost? So it looks like they're 175 bucks. I think by the time you get the little thing on the back that'll allow you to put on a bottle cage if, if that's what you want. It's It's got some add-ons to it um, for different parts and pieces and stuff. But... Um, it's made by Specialized, like I said, and it's a um, it's definitely a different looking seat, but in a weird way, it still looks kind of classic. But the um, so it's it's not like a totally totally weird looking seat. But what's interesting is it's it's like a carbon shell, right? That's wedge shaped, um, but then on top of the carbon is a uh, is padding and toward kind of in the middle of the seat are two strips of uh, slip resistant uh, padding and that'll keep you from sliding off of the thing but then on the edges of the seat are uh, super slick material that will keep you from chafing your uh, legs and um, and there's parts of it that are shiny that look like they're not padded. It looks like it's hard carbon or hard plastic, but actually, um, that's uh, that's padded as well. So it's a lot more padded than it looks. And it's um, it's shaped like a wedge, and the uh, and that way 
um, people can sit as far forward or far back as, as they want until they sit on their um, sit bones, find their own sit bones, and then sit there. And I didn't get to ride in it in the totally aero position, hardly at all. Like I said, I was too a little bit too big for the bike. I ride like a 58, and I think this is a 55, 56, something like that. So it was a little bit too crunched for me to get in the aero position on it. But the um, uh, I've I've been a big fan of uh, specialized body geometry, which is their their line of stuff that's made with a lot of attention paid to people's uh, shapes. And um, so it'll some, sometimes it's called body geometry, sometimes it's called BG. But if you get something that specializes body geometry. Um, there's a really good chance that it's going to be uh, uh, really well fit uh, to you. And I learned this when I, years ago when I bought cycling shoes and I got specialized BG uh, body geometry, just kind of their entry-level cycling shoes. And the difference of the contour of the footbed was amazing. And I'm still wearing those cycling shoes today, actually. I've had other cycling shoes since and got rid of them and went back to these. <laughs> They're so good. Hold on, sip of coffee. So, um, I've got an, uh, an ISM, a Domo saddle on my own tri bike, and I've got the nose zip tied, the rails zip tied together at the nose to try to bring it in to keep from chafing me. And, you know, it goes on and on with, with uh, all these modifications we make to saddles. And with this one, it felt weird at first, but then I noticed the more I rode on it, I did three, three bike rides, four bike rides. I think I did four bike rides on it. Um, the more I rode it, uh, the more I really, really got to like the seat. And um, the saddle, your shoes, and your handlebars and arm pads are the most, and shifters, are your contact points on the bike. And those are the most important place to spend money on your bike. Um, so... And out of all those, your saddle is probably the most important. Well, your saddle and your shoes and your cleats are probably the most important um, place to make sure that um, you're comfortable. Like, for example, um, I used to think that my elbow pads, uh, armrest pads, were pretty good, were really good. Um, and then replace them every uh, couple of years as they kind of flattened out. And... Um, a couple years ago, I replaced them with the CG's uh, elbow pads, which are super thick neoprene um, comfort. Probably, I don't know if they have gel in them or not. Uh, elbow pads, and holy crap, the difference that that makes! Um, I can ride on really rough pavement on on the armrests, and it uh, feels fine, like super, super fine. It made a huge difference in my um, in my triathlon performance. So um, I'm probably looking at, um, based on what I learned this week riding the Sotero, um, my next saddle being one of those. I loved it. It was, it was nice, really, really nice. So it was easy to find a position that worked really quick. Um, on, I looked them up on a review kind of to see you know, what the price was, and I'm not happy with the price. And also, they seem to be impossible to buy online. Um, maybe it's just... They don't make enough of them, and they don't sell them fast enough, or uh, they don't stock enough of them, 
or just to keep up demand, keep supplies small. Um, so you might have to go into a store to get them. And the uh, the other thing was one criticism was the uh, the rails on the seat might not go very far back and uh, don't seem to go very far back. And uh, people that like to push their seat really far forward might have a problem with that. So I would do um, take your bike to a bike shop, have them put the saddle on and ride it on a trainer for a little bit at the bike shop and then go, okay, yeah, this will work. It's far enough forward and, uh, or not, you know, or if you don't have that problem. So anyway, that's it. That's the Sotero. And I got to finish my coffee and go for a run out. Bang. All right. I think we're about ready to wrap up the show. I'm leaving San Diego to go back to Texas. (laughs) I was just at the, uh, all the container store and I was buying something I'll tell you about in a second. And she said, uh, uh, something about, uh, me being so nice and patient. I was like, well, that's probably some of the Zen practice. I didn't think about it until now, but that's probably what it was, was Zen practice. Cause the lady in front of me had a whole bunch of stuff and I just sat there and, and smiled and I said, well, I'm in the container store, you know, it's like organized stuff. I love it here. So it's cool. I can sit here and play with stuff all day while I wait. And then she said, um, Oh, do you have a discount? Are you part of the club membership? And I said, oh, no, I don't live near, there's not a container store anywhere near me. And she said, where are you from? And I said, Texas. And she said, oh, we, our like home office we, is in Texas. That's where we got started. And I said, yeah, but I live in College Station, Texas, and there's, there's no container store near there. It's an it's a, uh, hour and a half drive, probably two-hour drive to one. So this is good. And um, anyway, she... Uh, let me backtrack a second. Uh, the one thing that I was getting, I'm about to post a picture of it online, are these clips. And this is really smart. So you don't want to eat a whole gel at once. You just kind of want to um, eat part of a gel. Oh, did I leave it in the car? Oh, man. Crud. Did I not bring it in? Let me keep looking and see if I brought it in. I bet I left it in the back seat of the car. I was so excited getting out of the car. Anyway, at the container store, they sell these clips, and they're made for, like, if you wrap up bread, right? You, like, twist it at the top. Well, it's a little clip. It's plastic, and they snap shut. They're, long, they're like, an inch and a half long and, like, a half a centimeter or a centimeter wide, and they clip and they clamp down on whatever um, uh, you had open and to seal it shut. And they work really, really great. And I was getting more of them because they're awesome for gels. So you don't want to eat an entire gel at once. You know, you just want to have like half a gel. Um, but then you don't want to put it back in your pocket or in your jersey and have it leak all over the place. Or you get like bigger gels. Yeah, this thing, these work great. So they sell them at the container store. God, man, I can't believe I left it in the car. Let me keep looking while I keep talking. Um, I want to wrap up the show. I'm hopefully going to mention at the beginning of the show, I want to talk about hill work and um, how valuable it is. And from my experience, okay, I live where there's not many hills. And something I'm learning about myself is over the years, I've been training triathlons a long time, and over the years I've gotten faster and faster, but then I kind of topped out in speed. And um, you can only train, my aerobic system is spectacular, you know, I got a resting heart rate of like 42. 
Um, I can work out forever and never seem to run out of air, but my muscles fatigue. And the way to fix that, and a way a lot of people don't have to even bother about fixing that because they live where it's hilly, is to go, you can work your aerobic system, but you also uh, should be working your muscular system. So your aerobic system, your cardio system can be fantastic, but you're actually weak for your compared to your potential. And you wonder why you're not the fastest person out there. Even though you work out so much, you ought to really consider pointing your bike and your your treadmill, or if you go out and run, uphill. And what's interesting is it, you don't even need to uh, run your heart rate up that much. At just an average heart rate, you can fatigue your muscles and your legs. And also this is like uh, using paddles while swimming to fatigue your arms, to make your arms stronger. Um, you can fatigue your muscles without really driving up your heart rate, without causing a lot of exhaustion. It's kind of like going and lifting weights. And um, there's a whole lot of potential in your body there to, um, to improve by getting stronger by doing hill work. Okay, so this is what I've found for, for doing hill work that really works. The interval stuff, the polarized training that I, that I talk about works very similar to this, almost exactly the same. And so what you need to do is find a long hill that's like, um, for example, eight minutes long. And consider that like one set and you just climb it, you know, and do it uh, and then coast back down. Uh, or if you've got a route that's got long hill, longer hills on it, you know, climb those. Get so about towards the end of a hill climb, your legs, or if you're doing paddles with swimming, um, and you can drop it into kind of like a bigger gear if you're on the bike so it burns. Um, get it so it's burning a little bit towards the end. And what's cool is you don't have to go very fast to get this workout. So your aerobic system doesn't have to get too... Um, capped out you know like you don't have to be doing tons of aerobic and killing yourself over this and then what you'll notice is um, oh and then you do it like three or four times right eight eight minutes seems to be nice and um, towards the end a little bit of burn of each one and then um, what you'll notice is a uh, go and do it again a couple days later and you'll be able to do more and faster because now you're stronger, and I really recommend that if uh, you live where it's flat-ish, or you don't live where there's big hills and big mountains, um, you are probably very much lacking in the strength department compared to your competition who's coming from other places to race against you. And it's kind of like if uh, you grew up in Houston where it's really flat, and you're used to racing there, and then go to Colorado to go to a race, let's just, you know, don't account for um, for altitude. Okay, let's just get that, uh, skip that part. Uh, there's plenty of lowland, hilly areas where altitude doesn't matter. So the Appalachian Mountains, say Tennessee, um, or California coastline here in San Diego, it's really, really hilly. So you're a flatlander, and you're coming to a place where there's hills. It, you are going to suck compared to your competition because their legs are so much stronger from going uphill. Well, believe me, when those people 
go long, people that have strong hill legs and strong arms from using paddles and swimming, when those people go have to go longer, they fatigue a lot later. They do not seem to get tired. And um, you can manipulate this yourself. Let's say you live like where I do in College Station where there's smaller hills so and, and pretty, pretty flat but windy, right? So with gearing on your bike, you can easily simulate hills. Um, a bigger gear pointed into the wind and uh, ride where generally the elevation goes uphill. Um, <laughs> in all of my riding area, I think I've got one place where I can get something that's kind of close to like an eight minute hill. Anyway, um, and then it's generally, it's flat and then up eventually, but that's better than nothing. And then, um, uh, for running, um, a couple times a week, hit the treadmill and, or this, a stairwell in an office building and run up that thing for eight minutes and then um, and do repeats and um, I'm trying to think uh, you can extend your stride out so it's harder uh, and like I said with the gearing uh, make your bike um, seem harder by dropping in a little bit harder gear and uh, and do low rpm and heavy push and you can feel it like burning your legs even though you're not breathing all that hard because it's it's more like doing squats right so i was doing this this hotel that i'm at um, nearby is this road called bachman place i think and i talked about it earlier it climbs up the side of this of this uh of this escarpment and um running it's about an eight minute hill maybe uh biking it's like a five minute hill um it's really steep but uh, the other day, I biked it and got in, oh, six intervals or something like that. I forgot how many it was. And then, um, and then yesterday, I went and did it again, and I got in an extra interval. I got stronger in the same amount of time. So without doing that hill work, um, that was potential I was leaving out on the table. That's ability I was leaving out on the table, and doing hill work actually brought it out and uh, made me stronger. So again, to recap, don't skip out on hill work. Use it as, um, as, your, as, as a tool to, with, with judgment to create a little bit of burn in your legs every once in a while and then go a little bit easy to recover and then do it again. So doing intervals on hills, do it very controlled, um, kind of like lifting weights. And um, you can really improve your strength so that in your everyday life, because you only race every so often, and the, really the whole point is everyday life with fitness, um, you're actually a lot stronger. You feel like uh, beast mode, you know, because you're so freaking strong because of the hill work. And again, if you're just running on kind of level and moderately rolling terrain, you probably... You don't know this, but you're probably artificially capped out on your top speed because you're not doing enough vertical. And um, your aerobic system is as fit as it's ever going to get. And your body's waiting for you to actually improve your potential on uh, by doing strength, sort of, by uh, going up. Okay, then 
let's see, we want to wrap up the show, and I want to mention um, that Roth is this weekend. It's the biggest race outside of uh, Kona. Actually, by the time you hear this, it'll probably be over, and then I'll cover the news all about it, what went down on the next episode. Really excited about that. And uh, it'll be great to be back in Texas and doing my stuff, doing what I do. So I think that's it. Everybody stay safe out there. Work the uphills, cruise the downhills, and keep the rubber side down. Out. Out.